Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Oh my God, what a week. <laughs> this has been the most unbelievable week. Uh, if you listen to all the hearings, uh, I have a whole list of them, the, the RFK hearing, the illegal alien hearing, the, the climate change hearing, the, uh, what else have I got here on this list? There's a bunch of different things. Uh, we're going to talk about this probably in the third hour. We've got a, a busy show um, today as usual. What else we got here? Uh, but I think the UFO is the most fascinating. In fact, I might ask uh, uh, Randy about it just in case. That's going to be kind of funny. Randy Lambert's my guest. Uh, we've, normally we have a Tara D. And the pup date, the pet update, but uh, Randy's going to fill in today. And he is the chief of animal services, I just found out uh, a minute ago. So we've got uh, Mike Clinch, who's going to be our Mr. Science uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. 9 o'clock hour, I haven't figured out yet, so we'll just kind of uh, run with that. i got Pianchi in the line, too. I guess he wants to talk animals as well. But uh, let's bring on... There was my... Where's my, where's my, get my I, I just started doing this, so I thought of doing my, my guest of the day theme. Just let me scroll down just a little bit here, give him the proper uh, action radio welcome welcome for our guest of the day, Randy Lambert. So he's the chief of animal services. We met recently during a video, about an hour-long video, I made with uh, Tara D at the Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter. And it is an amazing place. It's busy. It's crowded. They do great work. And I was really impressed, um, besides the fact that there's a dog in every office. I mean, there literally is a dog in every office. So let's bring him on now, and we're going to uh, do what I uh, consider a very valuable uh, community service, not only to our folks here in Santa Rosa County, but across the country, because everybody has pets, everybody has animals, everybody has a shelter, uh, not as good as always oh, as good as the one we have, but um, this, is, this is some pretty essential work. Um, Randy, welcome to the show. Good morning, everyone. Well, it's just me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't get nervous, but we broadcast to some 50 countries, but it's uh, uh, usually by podcast, so uh, you get a chance to cringe before most of the world hears you, and uh, that, which is kind of fun, so you never know. Actually, that would be interesting. Um, now that I think about it, if you have comments on uh, foreign breeders, pets, and things coming to the United States and coming to Florida, that, that's uh, interesting uh, as well. But let's just start with you. Let's get your background, how you got into this, and uh, what you do at the animal shelter. So I've been here for about a year and a half. Um, my background actually is in retail management. Um, the county decided to kind of go in a different direction when they pursued hiring me. Um, they were looking for somebody who could really just come in and, and manage the shelter. I mean, we have, okay. a, we have a veterinarian who's very capable of handling surgeries and prescribing medications to cure whatever's ailing, you know, a cat or a dog or whatever animal we may have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have very capable staff who are able to care for the animals and, you know, do that daily regimen of, of cleaning and feeding and, and of any medications that may need to go and, 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 of course, the enrichment that goes along, which is very important. Mm-hmm. But um, they wanted somebody who could kind of tie it all together, and uh, and I've been here for about a year and a half, and and I I, I hope I'm doing a good job. Uh, we seem well. You've be... been there a year and a half. They they would have found out by now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, 
So, you know, that's kind of my background, um, uh-huh. just kind of bringing that management-type uh, mindset into the shelter, uh, working with our animal control officers, trying to, uh, you know, make sure we're doing the best job we can do there, providing the best service that we can provide there, making sure we have the proper training the uh, and, and the equipment. You know, it's very important to not only have the right equipment but know how to use it um, so those are some very valid points that, that I've had to address. Okay. Um, you raised an interesting question uh, that I was thinking of as we're talking, and Pianchi's on the line, too. So, uh, Pianchi, feel free to, to join us at any time. Uh, we've got extra time, too, because Derek's not here. So, normally, we have our financial report uh, at 7.30. It being the summertime, uh, he's here about every other week, <laughs> which makes perfect sense because he's, he's a busy guy, and Florida is for playing. So, anyway. Um, but uh, the idea of retail management uh, in an animal shelter, my guess, and you can tell me uh, what, what you think about this, is that a lot of people who want to do good work are not necessarily uh, economically concerned, management concerned. It's like it's for the animals, whatever it takes. And so, but you still need a budget. I mean, you still have to operate. You still have to pay people. You still have a, a function to do. And you, could, you can't do good work unless you're, you're doing well enough to, to, uh, to stay operating. Um, how am I doing? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, that, that, that's really good. And and we are so fortunate that the uh, the our board of county commissioners here in San Rosa County are excellent. They support our uh, mission very well. Um, and how our, do they do that? How do they do that? Well, how do they support you guys? By by providing the funds that we need. Um, okay. I mean, we, we uh, they they provide for us very well. Um, I was recently at a conference. And uh, in New Orleans, actually, and mm-hmm. uh, we took, uh, including myself, we took six people to this conference, and it's a huge uh, animal conference in New Orleans. Um, I'm going to guess there were probably thirty thousand people there. How many animals? Um, <laughs> How many animals were there? I'm just curious. Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't remember seeing any animals. Um, it was, it was more about learning how to manage and care and new products and new ideas and old ideas that still work and and different things like that but um talking with some of the other people there they there's there's a lot of places that are in really bad shape um i I saw a uh an image of a shelter in texas where they Uh literally have a dirt floor at their shelter I mean that's just not proper. I don't I don't know how you get that clean. Um, it, you know, you and, and, and and we owe this to the animals in our shelter mm-hmm. to give them a clean environment. Um, you know, we, we obviously we provide food and water, uh, but we got to give that cleanliness to them, and and that happens every day. Um, starts off about six thirty every morning with uh, cleaning regiments. Um, the dogs get it first, and the cats, and then the dogs get it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and just post down the birds. Talking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. We don't have birds. Thank goodness. I mean, no, not birds? Wood. <laughs> not, like, like, not ends up right now. You don't. Huh. Um, no budgies, no little parakeets, no canaries, no Tweety bird. I thought it's not pretty bad. No, 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 canaries. no, 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 oh. no, friends as of today. But this is a great climate um, for parrots. You know, I mean, they live almost, they could probably live wild right here in Rosa County. Uh, we had actually had wild parrots in San Francisco. Uh, a flock of South American parrots, red-headed conures, uh, has sort of settled in. There's like, you know, three or four hundred of them now 
Uh, it started off as a few of them escaped, but like six escaped and they started breeding. And they're, they're all, they fly around the city like a, like a wild flock of birds. And I've seen their other place, Miami, I think, has a, has a macaw population, don't they? They're, they're kind of uh, flying. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but not here. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. We, we try to stick to dogs and cats. That's, that's really our sweet spot. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> currently, we have, uh, we have a handful of uh, guinea pigs that were put in our lap. Uh, but I think we've got them all all adopted out now, so that's well, they're good. so cute. Um, if I, yeah. um, I think they were here when you were here last week. Um, okay. But let me tell you who's not here when you were here last week. Uh huh. And this is great news. After 523 days, yes, yes, oh, yes. Tell me she got adopted two days ago. Uh-huh. It was amazing. It was somebody who had came in and saw her, wanted her. Uh, a couple of months ago, but they weren't in the situation um, to where they could take her, and they gave us a call, uh, I believe it was Monday, and said, is Molly still available? And we're like, yeah, she is. She has been for 523 days. And um, she says... Uh, That's almost well, two years, like, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she, uh, they came up and adopted her. We had a huge going-away party for her. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and she is in her forever home now. So that that's is wonderful. a huge success story. Yeah. Yeah, that's She's great. Yeah, I fed Molly, fed Molly a couple of uh, dog biscuits, and it was kind of interesting. More than which, I had my, my phone down making the video. And it's cause I, didn't really, I wasn't really watching her, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's the dog. <laughs> you know, at my fingertips. It's kind of funny. So that, that was interesting. Um, did that video help that we did? Has anybody responded? Have you pinned that to your Facebook page? Has that been of use to you guys? Um, yeah, it was pinned to the Facebook. Um, you know, it, you know. I'm just curious if it, you know. I mean, I don't. Right. I'm, not, I'm looking for compliments I, here. I'm just, you know, curious. Right. No, no. Thank you very much. Um, can I put a quantitative number on it? I, no, it, it's hard to do. Sometimes it's just planting that seed in people's minds that. Uh-huh. Hey, the uh, Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter is, is is an open place. You know, anybody who wants to come and take a tour, I welcome them. I will personally mm-hmm. take them on a tour of the facility. Yeah. Um, well, that's like a tour. You could send that out. You know, to people if they want to. I mean, it's an hour long video or like fifty four minutes. I mean, it's, it's almost an hour. You know, and and Tara took me over the entire facility. You know, except where the dogs were, because it was kind of loud. We don't really talk there, but we certainly got them on camera. So you could you could you know people say, hey, you want to know about the shelter, and just send it out to them. It's like a promo right. or, a, or an explanation or something else. I mean, that's that's primarily why I made it, you know, so you guys could use it. Right, exactly, and we appreciate that. Um, I, you know, everything that gets put out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, just kind of plants that seed with people, with the community, that you know, this is this is a good place. It's it's not the stereotypical dog pound. Uh, we really care for our animals. Um, it's not unusual to find an animal in somebody's office with them, you know, possibly in their lap. Or um, I caught one of my kennel techs uh, a couple of weeks ago um, on her lunch break. She was taking a nap curled up with, with this big 80-pound uh, 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 pit bull. I hope you have a picture. So, uh, I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really awesome. Yeah, okay. she, uh, he, he has been in and out of the shelter a few times, and she's really grown fond of him. And he's a phenomenal what is it with pit bulls? 
let's let's talk about pit bulls for a minute because you know I, I think the, the correct name is Staffordshire Terrier. Don't ask me where that came from. I think uh, Jiggle Lady made a big point of that back when he had a radio show. But uh, pit bulls as the dog itself, uh, you know, if I guess I'm just guessing, but if they're completely abused like most animals, they're going to be mean and nasty. But the breed itself is not inherently mean and nasty. You have to kind of make it that way. What what are they bred for? Where, where do they come from? What's what's the, what's the lineage of the the Staffordshire Terrier? Well, the best the best explanation I have for it, and, and I may be wrong, um, is they were for corralling fighting with bulls, oh. um, and, and that's where it came from. Well, but, okay, that makes sense. But you're right. You, you're they are what you make them, and okay. and that's even with a cat. Uh, people say, well, um, you know, cats are standoffish and and they're not loving and this and what have you. Well, maybe your cat is, but but the way you raise that cat, the way you interact with that cat, if it's in a positive, loving way, then mm-hmm. you're going to get that back from that animal, regardless okay. of what kind of animal, dog or cat or breed that it is. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I just told this dog that I'm referring to, his name is Boudreaux. Um, he is the most loving dog, but he's a big boy. He's 80 pounds, and he, you know, he could do some damage if he wanted to, but but he's just not. That's not his nature because that's not mm-hmm. the way he was raised, and that's what it is. It's, if you you can make them mean, but um, yeah. but that's are they you know, protective as a breed? Uh, are they like family protective as a breed? Pit bulls? You know, everything is going to be a little a little bit protective um, okay. when when they're put in a corner, protect particularly. Uh, right. you, you don't know, you know, they are animals. You, when they, you know, would I rather be involved with a mean dog or a scared dog? A scared dog, you don't know what that one's going to do, you know, because well, that's interesting. You know, yeah, when it's in a corner, you just don't know. And and if it's huh. a little bit injured and put in a corner, there's a lot of times we'll get a dog in and, and it's just scared to death, and we'll just let it kind of. You know, decompress. Chill. Right. Chill for a week, dog. Or, yeah, well, we'll be back to you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, of course, we feed it and what have you, but but well, we yeah, don't no, no, make but, it yeah. do anything for a day or right. two and just let it kind of decompress and kind of figure out what's going on and that it's mm-hmm. and and let it know that it's not under attack. And um, you know, th- th- there's a lot that goes into it, and and every situation is a little mm-hmm. bit different. Um, yeah. Every situation with each dog and cat that we get, um, their history is a little bit different. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times we don't know that history. So, you know, we may get a dog that's three or four years old, and mm-hmm. we don't know anything about it. We we don't know what it's been through, and, and right. honestly, we don't even know how old it is until we look at its teeth and start trying to figure out how old it is from that. Yeah, to get close enough uh, to do that, you know, that's that's another right. issue too, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Huh. You you don't come from a veterinary background or animal background, I don't think, or maybe your family owned uh, animals, because you, like you said before, you came from retail management. So what have you learned since you've been there, and, and how did where did this interest come from to use your management skills, um, budget skills, you know, towards an animal shelter? Right. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of cats. Uh, growing up, I had some dogs. Um, my my wife and I have always had cats, and and when we first got married, we had a dog also. But um, I, I I love animals, um, right. and 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 honestly, 
I saw this as an opportunity to get into a position where um, in my history, uh, my, you know, my career for 30 plus years, uh-huh. I have been making, I've been working hard to make uh, the owner of the company rich. Yeah, other people money. And, <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, uh-huh. I mean, how many millions of dollars was created? I don't know. But um, oh, if you want a fundraise for Action Radio, we, we'll we'll talk off the air. If if you're good at it, I mean, we can certainly uh, use some help with our mission of freedom here. So uh, right. uh, I'm serious about that, by the way. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk but, anyway. Yeah. But 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 now what I'm doing is we're saving lives. Right. We're saving lives. Um, I I've only been here for a year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. One of our veterinarians that we had, I was given a a, a speech in front of a Rotary Club uh, huh. about a year ago. And um, she shot me a text and said, uh, four years before that point, we were at 80%. 80% kill. Right. That means 80% of the animals coming in the front door did not make it to their forever home. Right. We are at about 90-something percent now of live outcome. Every animal that comes in, 90-plus percent of them are finding that forever home and, um, you know, going on to have a, a, a nice life. Um, that, that's a huge swing and um, something that the, the, the entire animal services is so proud of. Um, and that's, that's a total team mission. That's, uh, that, that's the animal control officers out in the field, Rather than just patrolling around and picking up dogs, they're finding dogs. They're taking them back to their owners. They're educating them about you know how to keep them on their property and and what how they need to manage their animals, um, helping animals be reunited with their families once they have been found, um, and and then here in the shelter working with people. And I and I really can't go any further without saying a big thank you, a big shout out to our many, many fosters that we have that foster these animals until we're able to get them adopted. A lot of times that just means getting them old enough, big enough, um, well enough until we can get them foster, uh, I'm sorry, adopted out. Um, yeah. And our huge volunteers, uh, it's early, pretty pretty early this morning. I met one of our volunteers this morning at the front door. I was glad to see him. He works his tail off. He comes in once a week. Mm-hmm. And um, he was here at 6.30 this morning. Wow. And um, yeah, and not only did he show up to work all day today as a volunteer, he he brought two boxes of donuts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just what you need, right? Yeah. Right, right. Let's, yeah. let's give you all a round. We need to give you all a round of applause. Here. Cause you do some some amazing work. You know, and I, I think the thing I find so striking, and I've talked to Tara about this too, is the idea that um, when people think of the animal shelters, the first thing they think of is euthanasia, euthanizing the pets. The pets, like you say, 80% of them are not going to make it out. Um, that's a place people drop their pets, so they, they, they get rid of their animals that they don't want, you know, they're just, or the, the strays you pick up. And it's just, it's like a necessary evil, but it certainly is evil. And you've reversed that. And so is this becoming a model for animal shelters around the country? Are you breaking new ground? Are you following somebody else's model? When, when did this change occur and how did it come about? Because it's really, it's wonderful. I mean, it's, it's, it's good news coming out of government. So it's, a, it's quite fascinating to, to see how this is all working. Yeah. Well, 
the cha- no, it's it, we we didn't come up with this. Um, in fact, it started before I got here. Um, uh-huh. But uh, I, I just picked up the torch and kept running with it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a national movement, and it's been going on. I don't know, uh, probably eight to ten years now. Um, and you know, they're they're pushing hard to make it you know the standard uh, that you know having live outcomes. Um, it's really about working with the community. We do a huge, what we call TNR, um, trap, uh, neuter, release. We do, we do a, a huge TNR program for cats. Um, and Santa Rosa County, as a lot of places, have large community cats, uh, colonies of cats, which are, um, our goal is to capture those, spay or neuter them, and return them back to the colony um, so they don't repopulate and they live out their life. Uh, it's a shorter life um, in these colonies, but at least they're living free and, you know, enjoying their best life, as you say. Um, and that that's huge. As Why is it shorter? Just, uh, lack of medical care, other cats, yeah, predators, yeah. What, what's, what's right, parasites, right, worms, yeah. the whole bit, all, all that, that stuff? Yeah, okay. the, all, right. all of it combined. So, that, you know, yeah. the, the odds are reduced uh, you know right. your dog or cat that you're keeping in your home is very well cared for um the ones that are out eating lizards and snakes and birds and whatever else they can catch you know it's a little tougher life but mm-hmm. but they get to enjoy their life as opposed to the alternative and um you know, that, garfield. That's <laughs> sorry. sorry as opposed to garfield you know sitting around there getting chubby right right yeah didn't didn't but, you read Garfield? Um, I'm just maybe I'm dating myself. Yeah, here. No, no, I've seen a few that look like him. Um, oh, okay, fine. In fact, <laughs> in fact, I saw one this morning as I was leaving my house. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, um, fat cat's kind of funny, but you know, for 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 rich folks, but it had to come from somewhere. So yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know, that, that's a big deal. Uh, working with people on um, getting their, you know proper care for their dogs and, and making sure that um, mm-hmm. they're not excessively reproducing, um, you know, that, that's important. And we're really feeling that turn right now. Um, right. We hope, we hope. Um, I did some stats yesterday, and yesterday, same day last year, we were at 524 animals total in, in, the in our ownership. Yes, sir. Last year, wow. on the same day, um, as of right now, we're at three hundred four. Okay. So that's a lot you know, of animals. Our, our... Uh, and folks, you have no idea how big this place is. It's kind of huge. I want to also invite my uh, my guest uh, Pianki, who's on the line, and Marco, who's listening to us in the Netherlands. So he's on live chat. So uh, you're you're covering a lot of ground. That's a, yeah, go ahead, Pianki. That's a great operation you have, and I've watched some videos of dogs being adopted and you know the one dog that's getting adopted is just most bonkers is so happy but then when you see him walk down the aisle and the other dogs are looking at him so sad it kind of breaks my heart a little bit but no what you're doing i wish more people would take the time out to find these animals a home because you know they want to be happy too yeah that's why he's on the show (laughs) 
<laughs> this is why I do this show. Yeah, and uh, we used to have it for a while. It took a long time to get get back on, but I'm glad we uh, we have these folks able to to come on. Um, can I ask your budget? Uh, you know, you talked about being publicly supported. What does it cost to support an animal shelter or, or your animal shelter? Is it the public budget figures? I'm sure. I mean, I'm just curious. I don't know what they are. They are. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of money. Um, but honestly, uh, what what the county gives us is is really good. But again, the citizens of of Santa Rosa County support us in a mm-hmm. huge way. Not only physically. But uh, monetarily, uh, we get a lot of donations, uh, monetary donations, um, and and the UPS truck, the FedEx truck, uh, the Amazon truck, they show up here quite often with, with donations. donations. Wow. Oh, yes, sir. Right. Uh, food. Food is the huh. biggest thing. It okay. costs a lot to feed every day the quantity of uh, animals that we have. Um, you know, and we help our, our fosters out when they need help. Um, we'll, we'll help them out. We, we also help out people in the community, um, you know, somebody who's kind of struggling. Um, we, we know, you know, they say inflation is not bad, but, you know, it's hard to. Who says that? Not on this show. Come on. <laughs> right. We've been talking about it's, who's had inflation and recession since uh, Brandon right, took office. Right. So, yeah. Right. You, you right. don't have to get political. Uh, and, and, all, and, you all know, that's a relative you. term. You know, some people <laughs> yeah. it's hitting pretty hard. Um, yeah. So we try to work with those folks and try to help them out with a, a you know bag of dog food here or there you know uh-huh. to, to help them uh-huh. keep their family together and the family well, is their pet also. Yeah, um, let me. You know, uh, <laughs> I want to go back to the money question. You kind of avoided it here for a bit. I want. I'm curious because how much does it cost to run an animal shelter? You know, uh, you, you don't have to tell me the donations. That's private. But just what's what what's the public budget? What uh, how much do they give you each year? Uh, it changes, and honestly, I don't have the exact number. Um, okay. Give me a minute. I'll, 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 yeah. I'll look it up and come back to you with it if you give me just yeah, a minute. Yeah, I, I, just, just, this is just an action radio thing. I'd much rather folks that I don't know rather than kind of, yeah, okay, fine, you know, only because it makes me more curious. Uh, we'll see if Mark has a question in the Netherlands, uh, see how European folks uh, do their, their shelters. But uh, um, I know it costs a lot of money, and part of the reason I'm, I'm asking is because I don't think people realize how much money this really does cost to take care of the animals in your county. Because people, if people aren't, the only reason this exists is because people aren't doing their job. That uh, people who take pets or, or you know assume responsibility that they give up or release their animals, all these different things that are happening are because people who have pets didn't do their job. And so this is why I'm curious how much that we have to pay for the people that have taken on pets that didn't do that didn't live up to their responsibility. With now, this is the reason I don't have pets because I know it's a big responsibility. And I got stuff to do. I got a radio show and, you know, and I'm a busy guy and I can't be here every four or five hours to let a dog out. And so for me, it makes sense not to. Uh, we should probably talk about that, people that shouldn't have pets. But uh, this is what I'm curious. I don't think people really know how much uh, goes into running this shelter and how much it costs. I'm just curious. Like, so you don't tell me the private stuff, but uh, the public fund figures if you had it, I would, I, I'm interested in it. Uh, we're, we're, we're right there at a million dollars. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That it, it, yeah. you know, and people. It's yeah, I don't cheap. think. No, but and that's okay. No, I don't mind that. I don't mind them spending a million dollars on this. I think it's, I think it's quite fascinating. Um, but in Santa Rosa I, County, how do we compare county? I don't know if you know the size of our county compared to other counties, but uh, you know, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money, depending. You know, because we don't want these animals running stray, you know, wild in the streets. That's going to cause you more problems. 
Um, but right. I'm just, I don't, yeah, but it is, it, the pet industry is, is huge. I mean, how do you know what percentage of Americans have pets? Have you ever looked into, uh, I'm asking the numbers questions because you're, you're kind of like a retail management numbers guy. What, what percentage of American homes have pets? I'll bet you it's like 85, 90%. It is. It, it, I, I think it's around 70, 76%, I believe. Is okay. The, the number, I don't quote me on that, but that's it's no, it's a big okay. number. No, it's a big I'm not number. looking for exact figures, but you figure, and, and I'll bet you it's a lot higher in, in single-family homes as opposed to, you know, city apartments, you know, right. or, or places where they're going to have restrictions. So we're talking about suburban and rural America. Most people have, have a pet of some kind, either dog or cat or both, or several dogs or several cats. Right. I'm not talking farm animals here, you know, or, or working animals, but uh, just just pets. This is a massive industry. Do you know how, many, how big the pet industry is? This is another numbers question. If you're curious, to, I mean, <laughs> if you want to take a minute to look it up, but uh, how big? I mean, how many? How much? Uh, I mean, it's got to be multi-billion dollar industry. If you're spending one million dollars in this one shelter in this one county, we got 67 counties in Florida. You know, in a country of 330 plus million people, um, that's that's we're talking some pretty big money here, right? It, it, yeah, it's huge. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't have that number. We can, I can look it up, but uh, Corey, you call me uh, next yeah, week. Can, you know, tell tell Tara for next week. I mean, like I said, we never. Another thing about Action Radio, I never uh, expect demand or or require people to have. You know, I mean, I ask some pretty outrageous questions, and I don't know what I'm going to ask until it, until I get there. This is not pre prepared. This is just based on our conversation. And so a lot of times we do a lot of follow-up. So uh, Tara, if she's looking for a topic, this might be really interesting next week, week after some time to kind of come back. I do this to Derek all the time when we talk inflation, recession, unemployment, things like that. He's, he always comes back the next week, you know, with the things that we, uh, we, we come up with. But I don't think – that's another thing I don't think people realize is quite how big the pet industry is. I got another thing for you. Um, a couple more things. Uh, do you have a little t- extra time or do you have to go now? No, I've got good. a few more people. Okay, good. All right. Because Derek's not here. Otherwise, we, he'd be on. We'd be talking money. And you'd be welcome to to secret. Actually, if you want to do that sometime, join us for, for Derek's conversation because uh, it really gets quite interesting. In fact, you can talk to him and we can talk about the pet industry. That might be kind of interesting. And I'm sure, you know, Ralston Purina, you know, on the on the uh, the big board would be an interesting uh, figure to have because we really haven't haven't talked about that a whole lot. Um, you mentioned a pound, and I was thinking to myself, a pound versus a shelter. What's the difference between a dog pound versus a versus an animal shelter? I think it's just rebranding. I think okay. I think the, you know the stereotypical dog catcher and the pound. You know th- those aren't those aren't favorable places. Those aren't favorable people, and that's why we have animal control officers, and that's why okay. we have the animal shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- th- those are a little softer terms, and it's it's just a, a better, better way of looking at things. Um, you know, but has the job changed? You know, animal patrol officer. I mean, there's, there's a joke in politics. You know, you couldn't even be elected dog catcher. So, like right. dog catchers looked upon as a as a derogatory, the lowest level. It's like saying you you couldn't even be janitor, and without the janitors, places would be disgusting. <laughs> so I I, exactly. have, I have no problem with janitors whatsoever. But but it's kind of a running joke. But it's not. It's a real job. And are, are these fe- are these people law enforcement? Do they have uh, law enforcement powers? Are they sworn officers? What 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 does it go to making up an animal control officer? No, they, and they go through training. Uh, there's, okay. There's several training courses that they have to go through to do that, but. But it's really about it, 
it's really about making sure that the animals are being cared for mm-hmm. and making sure if, if, if there's a situation, then making sure that, that the citizen, the human, understands what they're doing or, or not doing and, and how, how it needs to be done. Um, and, and just educating, there's a lot of that that, you know, the, the old stereotypical dog catcher just went around with a big net and yeah, yeah. grabbed dogs and cats and, and, and went back to the pound. Well, we don't do that. Um, our uh, animal control officers are out there educating people, working with people. Um, you know, if they, if they have a dog that keeps getting out and, and running, you know, to the next-door neighbor's house and the next-door neighbor's complaining about it, then we work out, you know, how to get a lead for them to that they can run on this lead, and and oh. that way they're outside enjoying, you know, the fresh air, and um, you know, getting some time outside, um, but they're not running the streets. So you know, it, it's about finding that education point where where the person has the same reaction as you just did, as oh, I could. I could put them on a lead and, and they'd be fine, um, as opposed to. No, I'm, I was my reaction. I'm just glad you're doing it. You know, because again, people think of, uh, you know, the pound as the place where the animals go. It's like the the last stop on the way. You know, it's like you know, right. pets uh, God's waiting room for pets kind of thing. Uh, but this is an interesting right. question: barking, barking dogs, the the nuisance of barking dogs. I hear them all the time. You know, I know some uh, neighbors that I'll, I'll go by and the dog always barks. You know, I mean, right. it's their dog, their yard. I don't care. But sometimes these dogs are barking late into the evening. So is this something that people can call you and say, look, I've got a neighbor, the dog's barking all the time, I don't want to call the police, it's not really a, you know, it's not that big a deal, but uh, the dog doesn't seem too happy, and why is it barking all the time? And can you, do you work with, with, with pet owners and help educate them and talk to them about things like this? I, I, yeah, right, exactly. And, and that is something that happens. Um, okay. And, and if you call the police, they're going to say call us. Um, <laughs> okay, that's good to know. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a problem. Know, yeah. Call us all. Yeah. Okay, Brian. Yeah. yeah. But, call, uh, call us when there's a major crime. You <laughs> can't break the yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, but what we would do at that point is, you know, we're going to listen to what your complaint is, and you're telling me, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, the, the dog barks this much. And we're going to say, okay, well, we'll come out and we'll talk. Well, we're going to ask. Where's the dog at? You know, mm-hmm. what's what's the address, and then right. um, what's your address? So we'll come out mm-hmm. and talk with you. We'll go out and talk with <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, they're fifteen of the houses dog. down. It's a little bit. They're just they're just probably being a bad neighbor, you know. So yeah, okay. <laughs> right, right. And then uh, you know we'll, we'll let the 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 dog owner know. Hey, look, you know we're getting complaints that your dog is barking. You, you, you know we need to figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And most times that fixes it. It's just letting the people know that, hey, there's some complaints about your dogs barking and, you know, we, we can't have that happening. Now, we, we just passed an ordinance that says um, it is a nuisance when a dog is barking continuously for more than mm-hmm. 20 minutes. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, that's good for people to know. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, is that, and, does that come under disturbing the peace or, or what, what does it come under in terms of law? No, it, it, it's a noise ordinance. For the okay. uh, for animals, um, and it uh, yeah, so it has to be continuous for 20 minutes with no longer than a one minute break. So so if it barks for three minutes and then doesn't bark for 30 seconds and then barks mm-hmm. for five more minutes, 
you know, we're continuing that trend. But but if we, um, um, sorry, somebody's wanting to take the dog out in my office, take her out, but I've already taken. Well, her out. Yeah, it's live radio. Um, but we can take a break for a minute. I can always play something if you if you have something you have to do for a minute. I don't. Mind. No, no, no. She's she's already been out. I, I have a new dog in my office now. Her name is Lady, and she is a lady. <laughs> And, so you need uh, tramp to go with lady, right? So you, right you have two dogs yeah. in your office. Okay, fine. Yeah, and you put some spaghetti between them, and uh, the rest is right. history. And you have little, right. you have little doggies. Yeah, we know how this works. Yeah. We've seen that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but uh, no, she's not going to have any little little doggies. Uh, we made sure of that the other day. Um, but uh, so then the next step would be that the person who was complaining would do what we call a bark log. So that will oh. that will uh, log these barking sequences and then we'll come back and verify that and then uh, then potentially a uh, citation could be written wow yeah this is serious stuff but, and you know well it brings us something i've never talked about with tara but i'm kind of curious people they do these and i think they're cruel it's, it's like decline cats i don't believe in that either um Ooh. we can talk about that as well but uh but uh, vocal cords they will actually do surgery on vocal cords these dogs sound like they're whining you take away right. you know the the one thing that could save your life if you have a fire or a home invader um it, it seems to me that behavior would be the best way to deal with a barking dog or attention or whatever they need as opposed to surgery, you know, and we'll right. have a decline cats in there. But uh, tell me about, do you get people that, that do that, that want to do that, that bring dogs in that have had this surgery? What is, what is, what is the surgery? Do you know much about it? Like I say, maybe not be your I, I don't expertise. know much about it. Okay. I, I, right. I, I certainly would not advocate for it though. It's, uh, okay. but somebody's you know, doing it. Somebody's I'm doing sure it. they so, are. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. They've got to, uh, you really need to look at the situation, and, and, and again, that's one of the things our animal control officers do is they get out there, they figure out what's going on, and give the people some advice on, you know, look, let's try this. Maybe this mm-hmm. will stop them from barking. Um, they, uh, we, we have issues with roosters, and we get called for that often. What, every morning? And, uh, <laughs> about sunrise? Or what? Good one. <laughs> See, I love the sound of roosters. I go bike riding in the morning a lot of times. And uh, and I love the sound of roosters crowing. So to me, it's like music. I don't care. But that bothers people? That's like, a, it's it's like, a, that's like having, a, having a, a beautiful robin or, or a blue jay or right. a cardinal outside your window. How can, you know, people are weird. I love that stuff. But I'm just kind of right. strange. So anyway, yeah. What's wrong with roosters? Yeah. Well, and they'll. I think the biggest problem with that people that I hear people complain about them is that they just crow all day. It's not that oh. they, they're crowing at sunrise, but they crow all day. Um, and roosters huh. kind of get in competition with each other. And when you have several of them, they try to outcrow the other. Well, of course, so, they're 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 male. <laughs> right. Right. Put a bunch of fraternity guys together in an enclosed space. Guess what happens? You're going to have a fight eventually. I mean, this, is, this is just the way it goes. Right. <laughs> that's, exactly. But, yeah, that's funny, though. The, I like the yeah, side so, so, so you have one rooster per hen house kind of thing? So they have their harem? Right. And, yeah, and that's the way it should be. Uh, you don't okay. have to have that, but that's the way it should be. Um, but when you end up with, with a whole flock of roosters and hens, but a whole flock of roosters, then they just – crow all day and yeah. that bothers people and it and it becomes a um uh noise ordinance uh issue right. that we have to contend with and you know a lot of times it's just hey you, you need to 
lose some of these roosters, and then the problem fixes itself. So. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, we've got um, uh, Mark. I want to know. I guess what kind of dog lady is, you know? So uh, I'm always um, curious <laughs> in the Netherlands. <laughs> you know, it's like we can we can import we we can export our our our, shel- our shelter dogs. Well, do you ever do that? Do you ever do people ever request internationally because they don't have animals, you know, where they are necessarily that are available or affordable, or is that just wow. is that more trouble? Is that more trouble than it's worth? Probably. Well, yeah. I'd love to have that trouble. <laughs> I, I, I okay. wish somebody to call me and say. Hey, I'll take seventy of your best. Um, wow. <laughs> I'd love to try to figure that out. Uh, now, we, I, as far as I know, we've never uh, worked with anybody internationally, but but we do uh, we do have shelters that we exchange dogs with. Um, yeah. uh, the Pensacola Humane Society uh, uh-huh. just this week pulled um, four dogs from us. Uh, which was awesome. Um, we, we've always had a great partnership with that organization, and um, big shout out to them. They do great work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they they came and pulled four, four dogs from us um, earlier this week. And um, you know, w- there's a lot of rescues around. So when we get, uh, we'll, we'll just say a beagle. If we get a beagle in, there are beagle rescues that we'll give them a call and say, "Hey, the nicest please. dogs out there." You know, Snoopy was right. a beagle. Beagles, you know, they're they're great. They, actually, they're really. They used to. Um, they used the Department of Agriculture uses them. They got one of the best noses in the business, right? Beagles. Right. Yeah. You, and now you know you see them in the airports in the international airports. Yeah, exactly. They're they're like. Drug sniffing and explosion right. sniffing. They've I mean, gotten Beagles away are... from the big uh, German shepherds and, and what have you that look so intimidating and gone to the cute, adorable beagle. Yeah, but their nose is better. They're <laughs> like, right. like the secret weapon. You know, it's right. like it's, it's right. like the little old lady that that knows uh, kung fu. You know, it's like hey, you you don't know. Right. Don't underestimate right. a beagle. They're they're pretty cool yeah. dogs. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's fascinating. Um, I got more questions. Pianki, do you have a question? Uh, or Marco in the Netherlands? What's he got here? He says, I like dogs. I always want to know the breed. I used to have a, a Bernese Mountain Dog. Uh, those are beautiful dogs. Um, we talked about this with Charlie the other day. Hot weather dogs. Don't bring a Husky into Florida. <laughs> you know, don't bring a sled dog into Florida. Okay? They're used to, uh, you know, sub-zero weather, and they're a lot happier there. Do you, do you find that a problem? I, I think I've talked to Tara about this before. Warm we weather do. dogs, yeah. wrong dogs in and, Florida. And we yeah. have they come in here and uh you know and they're it's rough especially especially in our dog kennels um they're not air conditioned um that's one of the things we have on our wish list for Mm -hmm. our new shelter whenever that is going to be built Um, you need a new shelter we do need a new shelter okay so let's let's see what we can do about that but uh yeah let's start uh you know, and I'll I'll get your contact information a little bit before you go. But uh, I had no idea you needed a new one. So it seems like that one's pretty decent, but it, it's not adequate anymore. Or what's what's wrong with it? Or, it's, that probably. Uh, or what do you need? That's it's, probably a better it's, way to phrase it's it. It's not. It's not necessarily the size. It's the layout is not conducive to the way we're doing business now. Okay. Um, and and honestly, our our cats live in the. Uh, Comforts of air condition, but our dogs do not. Um, oh, pet discrimination! Yeah, right, right, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and it it can get pretty brutal out there. Yeah. Um, it, it is heated, but it, you know, but it's not 
air conditioning. That so air conditioning, yeah. We have big fans and 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 what? Yeah, have this you. is blowing hot air though. It's it's not and, right. and dogs don't dogs don't sweat, so they 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 have to pant. They do, they don't have the same way right. to cool themselves. Right. So the warmer breeds. So, well, let me tell you something. Go ahead, and then I got something really disturbing that that, that yeah, happened so, that so I saw. Yeah, so we really that, and that that's something right. that's on our wish list is that we would have air conditioning for our um, for our dogs, um, mm-hmm. just you know to make their stay here uh, a, a little more bearable. Do you ever talk to people who might? have a dog that's like a Bernese Mountain dog or a St. Bernard or a, a cold weather dog and, and, you know, and actually talk to them ahead of time and say, look, this is a cold weather dog. You know, you might need a kiddie pool filled with ice, you know, three months of the year so the dog can cool right. off. You know, I mean, do you do work with people? Do, do, do people have to qualify for like a warm weather dog, you know, so they don't have to, so you don't have to have the dog back again with other problems? Well, right. Yeah. We tell them, you know, but, but a lot of times they're going to be, ha- they're, they're going to take the dog and they're going to have it in their home. So okay. it's going to be air conditioned. Of course, it's going to go outside from time to time, but then back yeah. into the air conditioning. Um, you mentioned that about the pool. One of the most fun summer activities is when we get our get the dogs out and get the little kitty swimming pools for them to jump in and, yeah. and cool off, and roll around in, and and they really enjoy that. Well, get some um, bags of ice and put them in the put them right in the in the kitty pool. Right, right. I'm serious. Uh, I, I bet that would work. Well, and we do get ice for them. Uh, we have an ice maker um, that we have access to that will go and get ice and, and yeah, margarita for you guys and ice for the for the pet <laughs> pools and you guys will be all set. This will be great. Make some frozen right. blender. Yeah, this will be a great time. Let's go to the animal cell <laughs> party at the animal shelter. <laughs> right, right. Party, party. Um, yeah. yeah, but the problem with that is is it gets really dirty, so we dump it out and put fresh water right. back in, and then they get it dirty again because they're just you know, the they're dogs. rolling around in the dirt. Yeah, they're being dogs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they're having yeah. a good time. They're having a yeah, good time. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, let me tell you something that, that really bothered me that I saw uh, last Sunday. Uh, these two people, I, I'm, you know, I don't know who they were. Um, if I can, I give a police description, two Hispanic males, and I'm, I'm guessing with the influx of uh, folks crossing our southern border, my first suspicion, and I have nothing to, to prove of this, but uh, uh, we have a lot of new people in our country. They were selling huskies out of the back of an SUV, and I called the, oh. the county sheriff. There's a police record of this. Uh, talk to Tara about it. She knows about it, um, and uh, hopefully we'll get some follow-up. And, and like I say, whatever is internal that's going on that you don't want to tell me, that's fine because we're on the air. But uh, I... You know, and the thing, the thing, the scariest was that people were buying them right out of the back of, a, of an SUV. And these guys were like holding these puppies right in car windows and they said, here, you know, buy our puppies. And they had a sign, purebred husky puppies. And I thought the, one of the worst breeds, this is why I brought up huskies a little bit before, one of the worst breeds in Florida is, you know, I mean, get a chihuahua, get a hot weather dog, you know, get something that's used right. to get a Rhodesian Ridgeback that's used to, you know, African, you know, Velt, you know, get a dog that's, uh, you know, but these guys are selling Huskies. I guarantee, well, I can't guarantee it, but I'm, I'm sure there was no health check. There was no papers. There was no vaccine record. These guys were just selling. They had cages of, of young, and these dogs were barely, barely walking. They had just gotten their fur. Uh, and they were, they were picking up and, and putting them in car windows as people were driving by. This is right. Uh, it was on the inside access road up by, um, in fact, if anybody wants to comment on that, up by uh, Target and uh, Publix. You know that complex up there in Pace? Right off 90? Right. right. That's where they were. And they weren't up next to, to PetSmart, you know, I mean, because I know PetSmart has activities with you guys. You have pet adoptions, proper pet adoptions. These guys were just selling out of the back of, 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 a, of a blue SUV. And the reason I'm being so detailed, if anybody sees them again, 
you know, uh, I don't know if the sheriff followed, sheriff followed up. I don't think so, because 45 minutes later, they were still there selling darts. Huh. Yeah. Big yeah, that's, that's, that's not good. Um, especially you said they were just barely walking. Uh, they probably yeah. still needed a mother. Um, and that, that's one of the things, like, with our kittens, we, uh-huh. you know, we want them to stay with their mother for eight weeks. Um, it's vital that they get that nutrients from their mother. Um, and, you know, everything that we adopt out has been altered, uh, so it's mm-hmm. been spayed or neutered. It has a microchip um, so we can identify this animal and uh, has all the vaccines, all the vaccinations that it needs um, for its, uh, that are appropriate for it for its age and weight. Um, that, that's what we have to do for our um, county ordinance for adopting out. Um, but they're also well when they leave here. Um, yeah. If, if an animal is not well, well and, uh, and you want to adopt it, that's fine. Uh, but we do what we call a foster to adopt. So you, you can go ahead and take the animal home with you. But while we're nursing it, um, getting it well again, um, you know, we, we we're footing that bill. We're you know we're we're our veterinarian is seeing the animal and and we're we're taking those uh, steps to make that animal well, and um, and then when you do finalize that adoption, you're getting an animal that that is well and and um, again spayed or neutered, uh, microchipped and full fully vaccinated for its. Uh, appropriately for its age and weight, um, and right now we're doing that for five dollars. Any dog? Yeah, that's wonderful. But uh, I'm just thinking if if the animal control folks can take a you know a run periodically um, by the the big malls and and in our area here in Santa Rosa County, the the big stores, the Walmart, the Publix, the, the shopping center, the Target. Of course, nobody goes there anymore because you know political reasons, which is good. Uh, you don't have to get political. I'll do it for you. Okay, <laughs> you know, so that, that's my job. Um, but uh, and this is why I suspect that these are probably Brandon's illegals, and I'm sure in their country it's perfectly acceptable to sell cars to sell dogs out of the back of a car, but not in the right. United States. You know, we've got rules, regulations, and we, we we this is that's I don't even I'm sure it's not legal. Uh, do you know the statutes on that? Were they breaking uh, the law, sure or is that something that. you want to leave the sheriff? I do know. I do know that at at the appropriate age, it has to have a rabies shot. Okay. All right. Um, and that would probably be the biggest infraction that that yeah. us from animal control would 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 uh, cite. Um, and you know, and we'd want to see mom, and and has she been vaccinated? And, right. and kind of go from there, and, and you know, and then things will probably start unwinding um, and uh, spiraling. Well, I mean, you sell a dog to somebody, they take it away in their car. You don't even know if that car is ready for a dog. But first of all, there's no, you know, real transaction going on here. I didn't see contracts. I didn't see uh, papers. Right. They, they were just literally handing dogs, taking money, and off they went. I didn't even see the money change hands. But uh, And these guys were doing it right on the access road. They weren't even pulling people in. So they were they were literally handing people dogs, you know, as they were driving by and they were holding up traffic. Uh, th- I've never seen anything like this. And, and uh, it was really, uh, really disturbing to me. And that's why I called the sheriffs. Sheriffs took a big report, yeah. took my name, phone number, the whole bit. But uh, I don't know if they ever followed up. I can, you know, I can give you the, the, all the time and place. Well, we were giving the place. But it was like Sunday about 5 o'clock last Sunday, right there outside yeah. of, right across from the Pet Smart, you know. 
And so it wouldn't take much to drive down the access roads and just look for people blocking traffic, selling dogs right out of their uh, um, their SUV and talk to them. You know, and these dogs were, were lethargic. They're just kind of sitting there, just kind of hanging. The, the guys are picking them up. Uh, and if they're doing it this weekend, how many other weekends and how many other people are going to be doing this? They're going to go where right. the cars are. And that means right. you know, the big box stores and the big markets and things like that. There's only so many of those around. It wouldn't be hard to do, and especially work with the sheriffs. You know, in their routine patrols, if they take a drive down the access right. road, you know, you, we have, you'll find these folks. They're not hiding. They're right out there. Right. Yeah. We have uh, six animal control officers that patrol the okay. county. Um, so, yeah, we can put that in um, and make sure that they're, you know, looking in that area around that mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and, weekends. Um, see what we can uncover. Weekends, mid-afternoon uh, is probably the best time to catch them because that's when the most traffic is. That's when the that's right. when the malls are full. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to let you go a little bit early just because I want to play some stuff. I don't want to keep you for the full hour. But this has been fascinating. I'm really glad to have you on, uh, Pianki. Any any questions? Any follow-ups? Any anything that uh, is on your mind? No, just keep up the good work and put a smile on the face of all the pets that she possibly can. Yeah, that's our goal is to. Uh, you know, make their stay here as pleasurable and short as possible. Let me ask you one more question I've been thinking of. Uh, invasive species, uh, Burmese pythons. If someone gets one, you don't shelter and, and uh, give them away, obviously. But what do people do? Because that's one of the problems in Florida. Um, or is that a fish and game thing? Is that something you guys deal with at all? Um, it kind of depends on the situation, but a lot of times what we will do when we're involved in that is we will get involved with a rescue that will take them. Okay. But we don't want them. I mean, they're invasive species. We don't, right. They're, they're killing all our Everglades animals. Right. They shouldn't be exactly. here. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So I don't want I those the, if, if you're going to send them anywhere, send them to, back to Burma. <laughs> you know, right, they're, they're right. Bison, you know, I mean that way, you know, rather than kill them, which is probably what what happens, or, or well, actually, we could you know feed the homeless, so they're an invasive species. I'm sorry, I would just don't mind me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have my moments, yeah. Well, let's get your contact information and uh, get you out of here about a few minutes early, then I'll play some stuff, and then we're going to have uh, Mike Clinch. We're going to talk about UFOs, why it's hot in the summertime, uh, from Mister Science. So he's he's back this week. I'm trying to get him back a few more weeks, so that's going to be kind of fun. So Fridays are getting interesting around here, and Candace will be back in a few weeks too. So we're uh, we're getting a nice group uh, for for our Friday uh, folks. And just to let you know, Tara is doing a fabulous job. I mean, she is great to have on the radio. I love having her on. So you can pass yeah, her on. She she makes a huge impact for us. Uh, mm-hmm. She's on vacation this week, so yep. um, she asked me if I'd pinch hit for her. So I jumped mm-hmm. in, and hopefully. Hopefully carrying the torch for her pretty well. Um, oh, you've been on almost an hour. Right. You're doing a great job. <laughs> you know, believe me, <laughs> if we'd all gotten frustrated, you would have known a long, you know, a long time ago. Just, but right. uh, most of, by the time folks get on the show, I pretty much know it's going to work out okay. And we've we talked uh, before um, when we made the video, so that's cool. Let's get all the contact information, volunteer information, websites, Facebook pages, phone numbers, anything you want to do so people can contact you and, and join in and help out the shelter. What do you think? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so you can go to our website, which is www.santarosa.sl.gov backslash animals. Um, and then that will have all the information there about how to volunteer, how to foster, um, has the applications for those things. Um, or you can just come by the shelter. And we're at 4451 Pine Forest Road, 
And this is the Pine Forest Road in Milton, not the one in mm-hmm. Pensacola. Uh, so this is Milton, Florida, 32583. Um, my, our phone number is 850-983-4680. Again, 850-983-4680. Um, and my contact information, uh, you can reach me through email at Randy, R-A-N-D-Y, L for Lambert, uh, at Santa Rosa FL gov, um, and again, if anybody wants to come by and take a visit, uh, just you know, if you can give me a heads up, I'd appreciate it. Or if you just want to walk in the door, hopefully we're not too crazy with adoptions or or what have you. And um, but I'd, I'd be more than welcome to give anybody a tour. Okay. Actually, Mike called in a little bit early. I'm going to bring him on just to see if he has a question. Otherwise, uh, you know, I think we've been – this has been a fabulous hour. Thank you very much. Mike, do you have a question for Randy Lambert of the uh, Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter? No, I can tell you that they do a lot of good work. Uh, I've had several animals that have come roaming around and been able to take them to the shelter, and they really perform vital service. It's a shame that they can't do more than they do. Well, they, just, they do a whole lot, but they're on every week now, so this is working out well. All right, Randy. Thank you, sir. Appreciate having you on. Have a wonderful day, and keep up the good work. And we'll, uh, You're always welcome back on the show, so if you want to join Tara, welcome right. back for, for an extra hour. Anything that uh, announcements, anything that needs doing, uh, please feel free. All righty. I appreciate it. Everyone have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. All right. You're very welcome, and thank you. All right, so, Mike, just uh, mute yourself if you want, Pianchi, too, and we'll be back in, in just a couple of minutes, and we have some, some really amazing, <laughs> amazing things going on uh, in the world of science to talk about. And, uh, Mike, of course, like I say, you're always welcome. I want to I snag you for as many hours as I can um, as well on Fridays. All right, back in a bit. <laughs> All right. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. 
Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. All right, and I wish I had one of those echo buttons so I could go, Mr. Science. You know, i gotta, I got to work on that, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll do something for you, Mike. I've got to make you a theme. Yes, How are you doing? That's kind of scary. Oh, hey, I'll tell you what. It's, uh, that's hot. scary? <laughs> What's that? Uh, no, it, it, what's scary is when you turn on your sprinkler system and suddenly uh, a, uh, one of the sprinkler heads shoots out like an ICBM. That's scary. That happened well, to me true. last never, night. So, what, what, what came out of your sprinkler? Do tell. The the actual the actual entire sprinkler head for whatever reason came out of the ground. Oh. So in other words, you know, you screw it in and it attaches to the top of a riser, what they call it. Right. For some reason, it came loose. I think my neighbor might have hit it with the lawnmower. I turned Uh-oh. the sprinklers on and that puppy went out like a Trident missile. I mean, it's well, that's interesting. So, so your neighbor had the discourtesy to uh, endanger your life and uh, the disrespect to not tell you, and hopefully to hide it. You know, check their check their uh, rotor blade, <laughs> check their lawnmower rotor blade. I, oh, that's where you hit my sprinkler there, pal. I, yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I can't prove it, but I can just uh, tell you what I saw. I wish I would have been able to have a, a video of it because it was really quite interesting. Yeah, you need one of those but cameras. That means uh, I got the, the, those ring cameras, you know, the ones that send all your personal information to Google and Amazon? Yeah, one of those things. 
but they're pretty useful for security. Oh yeah, I have four of those. <laughs> we I have talk about four of those. Too. So we had a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, surveillance would be a whole topic. We got another yeah. one. Uh huh. Oh yeah, that's a separate topic for another day. But you know, oh, yeah, we we've, we've we'll gone the camera route because we have weird people in my neighborhood. Anyway, but they're all good people. I should say that. No, they're not. They're weird. Just you don't know them. Mike, people are weird. Let's just be honest about it. There's a lot of weird people out there. <clears throat> people, you know, most, what was it? Uh, um, the, the, the guy that, uh, uh, Walden Pond, uh, Henry David Thoreau. Most men lead lives of uh-huh. quiet desperation oh, yeah. and then kill themselves over something stupid or whatever it is, or go to their grave not having sung their song. That's the quote. All right. So, yeah, you, you, so yeah. you're going to catch most people in their quiet desperation. It's going to come out somewhere. They're going to get weird. You know, they're going to hit your sprinkler and not say anything. Yeah. They're going to dent your car and drive away. I mean, human, I, I don't know if you studied human behavior. Of course, you, you taught school. Of course, you studied human behavior. But when you think about it, there's a lot of really weird stuff going on out there. The normal is, is there's, there's normal and then there's just below the surface is, is insanity. It really is. Well, insanity is teaching middle school kids. I mean, if you, if you really want to know insanity and human nature uh-huh. – Teach yeah. uh, supervise a cafeteria of two hundred thirteen and fourteen year olds. That will well, teach you very quickly about human nature. Now, did you? See, what's interesting is that they're unrestrained and they don't hide their uh, their behaviors that they would as politicians, you know, as as other officials, as as corporate managers and things like that, or even as high school principals, you know, or, you know, or, or mayors or yeah. city council people and all that. So they they learn how. To, but in junior high, you can really see the the personalities. Can you tell who's going to be the the serial killer and who's going to run for office? And they're probably not that different, you know. And, and you know, who's I would do what say. <laughs> Yeah, I would say I've been right probably 90% of the time when I meet my kids later on in life. And Uh you usually, you know, there's the 2% that are never going to make anything out of anything. That's just the way it is. That's the numbers. You know, I hate to say that. And there's about 10 to 15%. Yeah, Uh the ones who will just get by, just make it, you know, just slide under the line right at Uh the end. Permanent welfare. The majority of my kids. Uh Yeah. Permanent dependence, codependence, whichever. <laughs> right. So right. I've been very fortunate. You know, I, I think I uh, some really good <laughs> Go ahead, Bianchi. But I think we'll those percentages may be elevated now. I think those percentages may be elevated now, and they need to be revised so that people can quote them with more accuracy. Those things is really good. That's true. Out of hand. And well, are there studies on this? too much time. Other studies to, now that we're talking about it, taking uh, taking middle school students and, and and projecting, you know, what percent are going to be criminals, what percent are going to be politicians, what percent doctors, lawyers, what percent you know middle managers, what percent you know tradespeople, things like that. I mean, I'm just curious, is that a, is, and has it changed over time? There's got to be studies like that. People people study everything. Four years. It would be interesting to look at kids. I know there are, mm-hmm. but I have to find. I'm going to look that up. And try and yeah, make a note. To see if make a note for a future show. We'll do a little sociology here. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, Mr. Science is taking on new titles here, so uh, we've just expanded your responsibilities. <laughs> and that's, and that's possible. I love. Okay. Yeah, right, I love well, Mr. Science because right. one at a time, people. Yeah, one at a time. Just start directing their children into certain areas based on their inner abilities and uh, what the uh, future beholds. Yeah. Always done it with mine. Mike? <laughs> the problem you have is that trying to measure a kid 
a child, you know, 5, 10, and 15 years down the road, I can pick the ones who will go to the Naval Academy or the uh, West Point and things like that. I can pick them. They're, they're pretty much no-brainers. And the ones who become doctors and lawyers and politicians, <laughs> they're, they're easy to pick. Well, I think politicians and criminals they're, are like a class by themselves. That's why I lumped them together. Well, it depends on – yeah, it depends on their definition of, of uh, moral, but we won't even go into there. That's a whole other time. But, yeah, we'll talk yeah, about Mayorkas another time. Yeah, go ahead. But anyway. <laughs> well, do we have to talk about him? No, I mean, we don't. Just the guy I got, I got, I got enough stuff with UFOs okay. and, and summertime to uh, – you know, the, the fact that uh, everybody's freaking out that it gets hot in the summertime, I figured that would be a great topic. And then I remembered that we had the UFO hearing this week, and I thought, well, we got to talk about that too. So we'll, we'll get to all this. But this sociology stuff is really interesting. You know, you can make projections, and it'd be interesting as you look into it to go back. You know, you look at the 50s. You know, have you ever seen that meme? Uh, Pianki's probably seen this too. You know, the biggest problem in school in the 50s, talking in line, chewing gum, not throwing waste paper in the mm-hmm. wastebasket. You know, those, those are the big problems in the 50s. Biggest problems in, in the 90s, teenage pregnancy, suicide, drug abuse. You know, the, the worst problems in the, the 2020s, you know, transgender mutilation and, you know, uh, ADHD, drug abuse and everything else, murder, suicide, and, you know, all the other things that are going on. So say, yeah. it's a very, it's a different world. Completely different world. We don't see we we've I know what I tried to do as a teacher was uh-huh. I would try and take uh kids that I thought needed a little extra push right. in a positive way and I would uh-huh. pick myself out two or three kids a year that I would try and alter their life, try and alter their view, try and figure okay. out a way something that worked with them and you know, usually you can't. It, uh-huh. it takes a little bit of effort. Not every teacher likes to do that. And, you know, I'm one of those teachers who didn't just follow the buses in in the morning and follow them out in the afternoon. So, right, you know, right. spending extra time doing this stuff with kids. Well, you love what you're doing, you know, despite the system you had to work in. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's to your credit. Oh, I, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, yeah. I was very fortunate and blessed to have been selected for Teacher of the Year twice. Whoa. And you know, over the now years, you tell me. I've thought about that. Yeah, that's it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it is I, a big deal. I what cared, are you talking? That's a big deal. Let's give a round. I cared more about the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give another well, round of applause. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay, that's Sounds all I've like got. The cafeteria when the pizza. Sounds like the cafeteria when the Pizza Hut guy showed up yeah, in a middle well, school cafeteria. Yeah. I remember college when the pizza guy, we, we used to have Hot Bell's Pizza, you know, at like 10 o'clock at night. Because mm-hmm. they, they knew we were hungry. So all, all, uh, in the freshman dorm, you know, you have this guy going, Hot Bell's Pizza. You know, he come running down. This is University of Massachusetts, you know, late 70s. And, yeah. uh, of course, we were starving. Because we were college students, the cafeteria was closed. You know, we didn't, we couldn't have, you know, you know school food till mm-hmm. like the next morning. So, you know, we, they made a fortune. And they, they only had this. They only make cheese pizzas. They make you know a couple thousand cheese pizzas a night, and they sell them all to UMass, which had you know twenty thousand students. But uh, yeah, and of course it's their pizza, greasy as it was. <laughs> but we didn't have a choice. But they're right there in our dorm room, right? You know, they walk right by your your door. What are you going to do? So yeah, that's marketing. <sighs> anyway, oh, let's yeah, talk about pizza, the science of pizza. Yeah, yeah. Why why pizza's so good? All right, let's get. To, do you want to do UFOs or, or or climate change? What's what's your pleasure? Uh. You decide. I, I can tell you that, you know, they no longer are using the term UFO. Well, see, that's it's not now the problem. UAB, 
No, no, it, yeah, it, un- was it unidentified aerial phenomena. Okay, sorry. So unidentified again, aerial phenomena. Okay. I believe yeah. AUB, AUP. No, UAP. Uh, unidentified. UAP. Yeah, right. But see, aerial we don't know phenomena. that term. So why would you change it from UFO? Everybody knows what UFO is, right? Even if you don't know unidentified flying object, you know what a UFO is. You know it's got alien in it. You know they're at Area 51. You know, we all know. You know, we all saw uh, Independence Day, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and when, when Judd Hurst says, you know, you know, I told you, I, like I told my son, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum, like he said, uh, he said uh, you know, you got to try to save the world. And uh, you know, he said, uh, Mr. President, you know about that, you're 51. Uh, it? And then the other guy says, plausible deniability. And then Bill Pullman, you know, yeah. op- open the door. Uh, sir, this is a clean room. We have to open the door. <laughs> you know, I love that film, right? But oh, let's yeah. talk about it. Let's well, my brother-in-law. Right, so, so, go ahead. <laughs> my, my brother-in-law was at, at Area 51, and uh, what is because Area 51? Of working with the what, what is it? What is it? Okay. Tell me what it is. And then what it is is actually a retro. It's a retro engineering facility. What they do is Area 51 was where they took when they were doing the first stealth bombers and stealth fighters. Uh-huh. They were they needed to flight test them, and they needed to find out. You know, after they were done, they take them apart and see what they actually did. So the rumors about them taking things apart at Area mm-hmm. 51 is true. But okay. what they were taking So there apart is an Area 51. Mostly... All right, so there's an Area 51. It is in Roswell, New Mexico, and it is a military base, and it is secure. You can't get there, right? Correct. I, I mean, okay. my, my brother-in-law did because he was in black ops, but that's a whole other day. Oh, can, we, can, can he come on that. the show? Can we get him on? Uh, I don't know. I can ask him. I'll, I'll yeah. ask him and see what he has to say. You, you said you, you've got a brother-in-law in black ops. You don't think I'm going to ask you to have him on the show? <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> I don't know. It's been a little while for him. So I'll, he he tends to play his cards very close to the best. Well, of course. So, he's got, a, he's got a top secret security clearance. I don't care. But I don't want him to reveal classified secrets. But, I mean, there's still a lot of stuff. He, did you hear the hearing this week? They said there were alien bodies oh. and, and, and spacecraft, and they've got I, them, and they've been – They've been playing with them for years. I'm not sure if, you know, I was kind of thinking Robert Kennedy Jr. was kind of one of those aliens. No, 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 no. This, 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 that was a different hearing. No, they actually had the – I watched. I, I posted on Facebook. I got Nancy Mace, do you have aliens, you know, yeah. in your possession? Oh, we have uh, – and then the, 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 the clever little guy in the hearing who's really fascinating. Well, we do have uh, some biologics as well as uh, some foreign spacecraft. Yeah. <laughs> biologics? Biologic. That means aliens. <laughs> That means, that means living. living. They were, they were right. living creatures. Okay, so living and, creatures, and that means aliens. Well, I don't know. Maybe they're, they're Vulcan. Maybe they're, they're copper base. I mean, who knows? I don't know. You know, when I asked when ask my sister and brother-in-law about this, they just kind of chuckle. They laugh. They don't confirm nor deny any of this information. Well, it was, so, it was confirmed in the of, hearing. This is what's so incredible. This hearing was amazing. Of course, I posted it all over Facebook and nobody watched it, but I can't, you know, I can lead all you to, to, to water, but I can't make you drink the information. So let's go back to Area 51. We, did, we didn't completely cover that. What is it? And we'll talk about mm-hmm. your brother-in-law in a bit. So it is an actual place. Uh, it is, does it have it's a budget? A, it's a retro, uh, I don't know what the budget is. I what, know it have one? Lockheed. Lockheed. Oh, 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 interesting. Okay. Lockheed and the rest of them. Right? Yeah. What do you mean the rest of them? That was how, many it. Are involved, how many companies are involved there? Oh, gosh. 15? 
Really? I, I, I want to say it's 10 to 15. Yeah. But, okay. But remember, they're doing, they're doing all sorts of – they're doing multiple projects. Well, they don't they just are. do one thing. I mean, you know, they're the fifth-generation fighters, uh, uh-huh. things like that, they that, that's what they're working on now. So, and I, I don't know that generation. much about it. I just kind of, yeah, I kind of skirt around the edges and and yeah. and pay attention to it because it's a science thing. I'm interested in the science. So right. you know, there's, well, I'm interested there's in everything. Always, and <laughs> I don't I don't have any bounds. We'll talk about why stealth doesn't work in a little bit, but let's let's, let's get back to the alien stuff. So, what started it? Uh, was there a craft back in 1947 or wherever? Where did this? Where, when did Roswell first get going? Do you know? I'm I'm curious. What I it? think. Yes. Kelly Johnson and the guys at Lockheed and and the Mm -hmm. guys at the end of World War II, Mm -hmm. they needed, I hate to say this, Eisenhower said the military-industrial complex. They needed to keep the money flowing. Yes, and that, that makes a lot of sense. No, you can always whatever you know. Yeah. You never say you hate to say it, or, or, or I don't know if I can say this. Yes, you can. I'll tell you right now. Whatever it is, you can say it here. Uh, I don't like a lot of swearing yeah, on the, the show. Short of that, industry, you know, but you can say it here. Yeah. I think they wanted to keep. Yeah, I think they wanted to keep things going. Okay. So uh, you know, I can I can uh, I can go back further than that with my dad, but we won't go there. But what, Why not? what I can tell you is, well, actually. Go now ahead. that you mention it, my dad was yeah. a, my dad was a member of what was first called the CIC, the Counterintelligence Corps. Ooh, I that thought it was, was the, o- the OSS. The, uh, they were both the OSS and the the CIC. CIC was strictly military. See, I've never they heard were of all CIC. military. I've never heard of them. I've heard of the OSS. Yeah, well, that, which is the precursor of the CIA. Mm-hmm. And the CIC was part of that entire group. Ooh. And they worked out of Fort Holabird, Maryland, which is right across the river, of course, from D.C. Of course. And uh, it was turned into an industrial park later. But that's where they worked out of before the Pentagon was finished and everything. They they worked out of Fort Holabird, Maryland. Huh. And, okay. Uh, well, things we're learning. This is yeah. great. And you can – there's a guy who was a friend of huh. my late father who right. wrote a book on the CIC and OSS. And I don't recall his name. He was supposed to be in my parents' wedding, and he uh, couldn't make it. And I can't huh. remember his did, name. Did you go talk but to if aliens up, or something? Or what? <laughs> his I'm name with sure. aliens? <laughs> oh, okay, fine. I'm just curious. If he's still around, we'll get him on the show. I, you know I, mean? so. uh, I want to know all the people you know. This is oh, fascinating. It's kind of interesting. They're all by association. I mean, uh, uh, you know, okay. obviously my family. I'm not fuzzy. Sense. My dad okay. a long time ago. But, oh, I'm sorry. You know, he kind of chuckled. Yeah, he said they were kind. Of, they were always afraid when they were guarding President Truman. My dad huh. said they all wore the same seersucker suits, and they all What's carried that? 38 specials. Uh, you know, the old, the very bright uh, Southern suits that kind oh. of had blue stripes, right, white right. and blue stripes. Okay. And my dad said they all wore seersucker suits. And they all carried a thirty-eight special. And my dad said the biggest thing they were afraid of was they were going to shoot each other. He said Why? that was the biggest thing they worried about. Why was uh, that? Well, they. Well, he said, they, well, I guess he didn't like some of the people or was questioning some of the people he worked with. But you know, it was it was pretty interesting. His stories he would tell me. So you know, it's kind of funny. But anyway, yeah. The uh, let's get back. We'll get back to Area Fifty-One. Yeah. Uh, what Area 51 actually is was a retro engineering facility. They would put things together and take them apart. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Kelly Johnson from Lockheed was out there, mm-hmm. and you know working on the SR. And well, let's, you know, let's the talk SR about Kelly for a second. Yeah, uh, let's just jump in here for a sec. Kelly Johnson uh, had a thing called the Skunk Works, and the way they got started mm-hmm. was in World War II. They actually got started with the P thirty eight Lightning. It was one of the first things. It was a twin-tail, right. twin-engine, single-seat fighter where all the guns were in the nose facing, facing forward, so they, didn't, they weren't in the wings where they had to converge at a certain point so they could fire straight. Uh, revolutionary airplane, incredibly fast. I've actually seen one fly. They're incredibly beautiful. But it was a revolutionary design. And it was part of Lockheed, but it was a separate part of, like the secret part of Lockheed called the Skunk Works. Well, then from there, they went Correct. to, uh, I don't know if there are other aircraft, but I know they, they went with the U-2, which is a plane, and then they went to the SR-71, known as the Blackbird. And so they created some mm-hmm. of the most amazing airplanes, but they also did civilian stuff like the Lockheed Constellation, probably the prettiest propeller-driven airliner ever built. Absolutely gorgeous airplane. Triple You're like a tail. dolphin. Yeah. Well, that's yep, that's so it could fit in the hair. It had yep. three tails. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, but uh, beautiful airplane. But uh, the, the Skunk Works is where they did the really cool stuff, you know, like the SR-71 and the U-2. And so, so Kelly oh, Johnson, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me that he would be in on some of the most, you know, the top of the top secrets. So, uh, so he was at Area 51 too, huh? <laughs> it was interesting. Oh, yeah. They had the entire that entire group. They had a work group, and there is a special on Discovery Channel, uh-huh. I think, where they talk about. They obviously can't talk about everything, but they talk about the iteration where the the ideas came from. Uh, you know, moving. They had all sorts of issues when those planes first came out. They uh-huh. had all sorts of issues with vibrations Which and ones? Uh, figuring out how to. Which yeah, ones are we talking the, about? The leading edge. Yeah, the what they did was is they approached and got past the speed of sound. They had right. vibration issues, and then when they got even higher to twice the speed of sound, it really became an issue. So they had worked. Part of what they had worked on was trying to get the right materials for the leading edge slats of the wings, in order to get rid of that vibration. And I remember reading about that as well. It was really kind of hmm. interesting some of the things that went on. People don't realize we were way ahead of our time. World War II pushed everything probably 50 years ahead, I would say, and yeah. including the yeah. space program. So yeah, it, what it's a lot strange of people... that, that war does it. Civil War pushed medicine, you know, 100 years ahead. You know, it, it war, unfortunately, mm-hmm. the, you know, as, as bad as war is and horrific as war is, uh, it does force innovation. You look at uh, the pre-war, and I'm kind of an airplane buff, so is Pianchi, he's a pilot as well. Um, do you fly at all? Or no, Mike? I, I, I'm i a frustrated uh, pilot wannabe. You know, did a lot well, of stuff read on my flight book. simulator. I, read, read my book. It'll help you out. <laughs> the Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Trust I me. Enjoy. Well, both my sister and brother-in-law, uh, my sister let her license lapse, but my brother-in-law was an FAA twin engine certified, everything, so right. he was flying in the SR. And... Right. Uh, you know, had been raided on a bunch of different planes. Yeah. And uh, I always thought I would like to do it, but it was kind of one of those things where it's expensive. You know, hmm. and Pete and no knows. If you've got to get your license, is an expensive proposition. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why when the airlines went broke, you know, when I had all my, uh, I had no money as an instructor. I already gone through the, the life savings, the, the expense of everything. I was barely hanging on. So when the, the airlines went broke mm-hmm. and the students dried up, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't afford flight time on my own. I'd have my, my students pay for it. So, you know, after three or four years of that, there of course, all my experience is gone. And a ton of, a ton of instructors who were instructing in 1992, like I was, uh, we just, we lost, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't continue because there was no students. There's no flying. Once you lose it, 
you know, there's always someone coming along behind you that's right out of uh, flight school and training, and uh, they, they, you know, they got the jobs. So it's pretty crazy. And people don't that, realize that time. Uh-huh. Yeah, people don't understand how expensive Avgas is. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. They, well, let's get let's, it, for the S on. Okay, uh, we'll go back. Well, to for the SSM, yeah. Well, uh, well, the the jets use use JP four or Jet A, which is kerosene basically, which is cheap. Right. But they use an awful lot of it. Speaking of carbon footprint. Oh yeah. We'll get to that in a bit. And then the SR had uh-huh. its own special fuel. Remember, it had J twelve. I think it was J twelve, J eleven. Yeah, they had to have a special fuel because. It had to. It had to be. You could heat it up. Obviously, as the as the jet flew through the atmosphere, it right. had to, the the gas tanks actually sealed themselves. When they filled that thing on the runway, my sister told me you could just see the fuel just pouring out of it. Sure. Between the the, the slats. Because they had to until have the it got up in the air. Yeah, they have the expansion mm-hmm. capacity. So it's like bridges. You see bridges with those uh, little compression rubber things between the, uh, the blocks of concrete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to have that there, otherwise the, the concrete would shatter. All right, well let's get let's get to the cool stuff. Let's go back to UFOs. And do you remember um do you remember Carl Sagan, who was back when, when oh, uh, national okay. national broadcasting, national public broadcasting was actually a decent thing. It wasn't a complete socialist propaganda machine like it is now. Carl Sagan used to get up and he would talk like this and he talked about billions and billions of stars in the sky. It was great. We were all like 12 years old listening to Carl Sagan, right? But, the, but, you know, when it comes to aliens, and this is something I've always thought, since we have, you know, I don't know how many galaxies in the universe, lots, right? Each galaxy has a ton of stars like our star, the sun. So there are, are billions and billions of suns out there. Those suns, in many cases, have planets. Chances are a, a good percentage of them have a planet like Earth, oxygen, nitrogen, atmosphere, carbon-based life forms, you know, close enough to the sun, but not too close to have the right temperature range to support life. They've got water. They've got all the elements they need, and they probably have life. So the idea that aliens aren't out there, to me, is absurd. The chances, the chances, I can't imagine that there isn't, you know, in all the other suns with all the other planets like Earth, you know, they, I couldn't believe that they don't have life. The only question is, are they more advanced or are they, uh, you know, behind us? That's the only question. Right. Are they bacteria or are they, you know, brilliant creatures? There mm-hmm. is there is a formula that a scientist and an astronomer, I can't recall his name now, came mm-hmm. up with where you can actually go through those numbers where you take how mm-hmm. many planets in a Make how a many planets. In a, make a note. Galaxy. <laughs> make a note right now. Make, yeah, make yeah. a note for next I'm, time. I want to. I want to know. I'm doing all your so, research. Uh, well, yeah, it's fun. Come on, I, I, I got a show to run. You can do it. <laughs> You're Mr. Science. That's good. <laughs> there I'm is sorry. A formula. Well, no, that's okay. There is a formula right. out there that they take and figure out how many planets, how many, well, how many galaxies, how many stars, how many planets, how many planets can have life. You can actually come up through, and I want to say that somehow for the Milky Way galaxy, uh-huh. that came up to 15 million possibilities. 15 million Earths? I want Earth? to say I could be wrong. Wait, 15 million Earths? Yeah, Earth-like. Earth-like. Now, that, okay. that means where the conditions With, for life okay. could happen. Let's get Pianchi's question, then i got a bunch of Pianchi, you well, want to make a point. The thing is, yeah. is that uh, <laughs> I believe that these life forms do exist, whatever form they are. 
uh-huh. and depending on what what uh, environment they're coming from, they wouldn't look like Homo sapiens, that's for sure, because they're coming from an environment where there's greater pressure or there's greater gravitational force. They'd be a lot shorter, and they probably have big heads. But uh, I do believe, now the thing is, <laughs> is that they have to be advanced in order to make the travel because the right. nearest a planetary <laughs> system that uh, similar to ours that would hold uh, life, carbon and and water and so forth, you're talking about a, a distance that either of us could travel even at the speed of light in the time. So they have to have some sort of advanced uh, education, advanced knowledge on how to travel, that's for sure. Well, how old um, is our planet compared to some of these other planets? In other words, are there Earths out there that are, are several billion years older where much much more advanced civilizations? Look at the pace of change of our technology. You know, we've gone from, uh, you know, the Titanic in 1912, you know, to uh, space weapons. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, an advanced computer, you know, artificial intelligence. We, we, did, we ran an AI program Tuesday on the show. While we were running the show, which is kind of interesting, but so the advance, the the the, the speed of technological technological advancement just in the last hundred years is staggering. So you get a few billion years difference. Well, why wouldn't other planets be more advanced? And there was just a study that came out, and I saw it uh-huh. two weeks ago, and I thought about I was going to send it to you, and I've got to find it. They reestimated the age of the. Milky Way galaxy and the start of the um, universe. Uh-huh. They've actually gone back, I want to say now, from like six or nine billion to 13 billion years, uh-huh. um, you know, in, in the timeline. So uh-huh. that's, it's very fluid. The, there's not a specific set date. It didn't, you know, day one start here. Oh, it, it wasn't a big day, right? Or was there? 14.7. 14. But you know another yeah. thing with the fact that the uh, universe is, is processing away at some point in time as we look up and see stars, you won't see no stars. It'll just be complete blackness because it would have went on by. Does that reverse at some point? There are some people who believe it does. Okay. There is a there yeah, is an opposite. The Big Bang has an opposite theory called the Big Crunch. And it actually exists that gravity would eventually overtake the stars and the materials in the galaxy, their ability to continue expanding. Now, it's well, theoretical, obviously. Let's, let's talk, well, everything, everything is until it's proven. Let's talk about gravity for a second, because I remember I was talking about, actually from the topic of relationships and, and opposing factors, and I got into describing the Earth, and I said the Earth you know, sits in its orbit. Um, it's got centrifugal force pushing it away from the sun, gravity pushing it towards the sun, and they're perfectly balanced for the size and velocity that we're going. And this is where I bring in intelligent design. I was explaining to somebody, I said, that can't be an accident. What are the chances that a planet this size with an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere with water and carbon-based life forms would be just, you know, far enough from the sun to be in a temperature range that creates life, you know, everything from ice ages to, you know, tropical paradises up in the North Pole, um, and, and that we would over the right speed to keep everything going. We would wobble at the right speed for, for four seasons. We would be spinning around the sun fast enough to maintain our distance, balancing centrifugal force and gravity, and all these things would happen. And you, you can't call that an accident. There's a lot of stuff coming into play well, that makes it work. Okay, one at a time. Go ahead, yeah, go ahead, Tom. All right, Mike, go ahead. Well, 
one of the things that people, I, I think this is where our education system has fallen flat on its face. Uh-huh. I tried to spend time with my kids in my classroom trying uh-huh. to talk about, you have to take what they know and relate it to what they don't know. And okay. so they know the earth. So you start there and you move your way out. Our educational system has gone away from learning the basics. Like, for instance, most people don't know the earth is not round. Most people yeah. don't know that the cause of the seasons is not the distance from the planet, but the actual, our sun, but the tilt of the axis. Yep. A lot of these basic science concepts have been ignored for the sake of standardized testing. As a result, our kids, don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. our kids don't have the basic knowledge they need to make these scientific, you know, studies, comparisons. Well, That's why so many it, kids get turned off the food. How long does it take to, to sit a kid down with a globe and, and say, look, here's the Tropic of Cancer. This is where the sun is in the Northern Hemisphere in the summertime. Here's the Tropic of Capricorn. You know, here's where the sun is in the Southern Hemisphere at, at their summer, which is our winter. Here's the equator. This is where the sun is, you know, during the, the, the middle of, of the year, you know, during the vernal and autumnal equinox. Here's the, the prime meridian. Here's the, the, uh, the Greenwich Mean Timeline. Here's, here's, nav- here's the longitude. Here's la- latitude. You know, here's how it works. Uh, you know, one here's minute how of, time uh, zones work, uh, yeah. You know, 360 degrees in a circle, so 360 degrees of longitude and latitude, 180 north, 180 south for, for latitude. You know, I mean, this is not tough we, to do. I've just explained the whole world navigation system and in, in, in the seasons in 30 seconds. And I had to do – I had to take an entire quarter out of my school year to relate all that stuff, motion, uh, gravity, huh. inertia. How hmm. did that relate to the calendar? How is it we don't have 365 days a year? Why do you have a leap year? All mm-hmm. these things the kids weren't learning, and they're not getting it now. Yeah. They don't get okay. – they, they say, more oh, here's the it's a crime. It's a crime. Yeah, more important, Mike, you got to let them know that they don't exist here on this planet. But, you know, you make a mention of gravity. Is gravity two-dimension, three-dimension, or four-dimension? I think it depends on how you – how you look at it. I've always thought as gravity as being unidirectional. In other words, no matter where you go, there is gravity. It's microgravity or it's something, it's out there. And it's just dimension function. or direction. I think you said dimensional. Pianchi, where are you going with this? Well, it would have to be dimensional because, you know, they, the way they portray gravity is a grid. And they like to demonstrate by putting a bowling ball in the middle of a mattress. Well, that just can't be. It has to have just as much effect in the other dimension, horizontal, vertical, and catechorn. Well, that makes sense because gravity, uh, everything that's on the earth is rotating at the speed of the earth. It's going where the earth is going. You know, so, and, and again, the opposing force of gravity is centrifugal. Force, so you have to balance these out. What's that? I'm talking about space and time. You got, to have, you got gravity in space. Right. Well, is, Mike, isn't that so, what the yeah, planets so, in, in orbit? Aren't the planets so, balanced by – hold on a second. Mike, the planets, aren't they balanced in their orbit by the centrifugal force pushing them away and the gravitational force of the sun holding them in? Because if there were no centrifugal force, we, we, follow, gravity would pull us into the sun, right? And they follow a curved path as a result. Yeah. And that's how orbits work. Yeah, exactly. And But there's something else here, too. As uh-huh. the planets get closer to the sun, they speed up. As they move away from the sun, they slow down. Now, 
right. is that a perfect number? No. But what people don't understand is the Earth is actually moving faster at perihelion when it's closest to the sun, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is when we have winter in the northern hemisphere. You want to really freak people out, tell them that they have winter when we're closest to the sun. They freak out. They can't believe that that's the case. But it is. And when we're farthest away from the sun at aphelion, we actually uh-huh. have summer in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. And a lot of so, people, that's the basics. Ahead. Yeah. So, see, now that's, that's new for basics. me. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that, but that's interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I've you know, I got a fair amount of stuff I've picked up over time. So. So for folks that are talking that are panicked about climate change, so let's get onto that. We'll get back to UFOs in a bit because that, that's really fun. Yeah. But in, in terms of climate change, you know, the, the, these forces, these amazing forces, you know, that are, that are pulling at us all the time, the balancing of the centrifugal force with the gravity, with the rotation of the earth, with the wobble of the earth, with the curved path that's, that's elliptical um, or parabolic or however, whatever you describe it. The fact that the earth does get close to the sun and further away. And when it's closer, it's actually uh wintertime, <laughs> you know, is, it, is the tilt greater towards the South to cause that or what, what, what uh, how does that work exactly? Or are Southern summers yeah. hotter in the Southern hemisphere than Northern hemisphere? No, it's I mean, actually, it's all due, it's really all due to the tilt of the Earth's axis. That's the biggest part. Okay. Remember that during during the summer, we right. are tilted, the northern hemisphere is tilted towards the sun, 23 and a half degrees. Our axis but we're the is not directly away, up and down. But we're furthest away from the sun, too. We're at aphelion, which is farthest away, helio being okay. sun. So okay. aphelion it's, we have summer when we're farthest away because the northern hemisphere is still tilted towards the sun. So we're getting more incoming solar radiation, insolation, not insulation like in your house, but right. the amount of radiation we get a greater amount than, because the sun's rays are more direct. Then in the right. winter, when we're closest to the sun, but the northern hemisphere is tilted away, as a result, the rays of the sun are less intense, hence we get winter. But how does, that affect differences, how does that affect differences between the northern and southern hemisphere? If the southern hemisphere is closer to the sun, tilted towards the sun, both would make for increased heat. Does that make uh, the summer stronger? I know the ozone stronger. The sunburns are stronger than Australia. I mean, this might explain it, that you're, not only are you tilted the amount, towards the sun, but you're closer to it. The amount of the distance is not the greatest factor. The tilt okay. of the axis is. Okay. Because of that, and think of it this way. If you had a flashlight and uh-huh. you put it on the a globe of the Earth and you didn't have it tilted, it would be one circle, one solid circle, right? right. Tilt the globe, and guess what happens to that, that shadow or that, that light? It spreads out. Well, of course, uh-huh. as the light spreads out, what happens to the intensity? It drops. Right. That's the same principle that happens with the axis being tilted toward or away from the sun. I used to have the kids take a globe and we would orbit the classroom as a group, and we would take it, and, and they'd have flashlights, and they would, you know, measure how big the earth, the shadow was and everything. That's the mm-hmm. kind of thing kids need to learn. And we don't do that anymore. We're more worried about how they do on a standardized test. Wait, did they, did they, even, have, and did they even have science classes anymore? I mean, I had earth science, then I had biology, and I've forgotten what the, the uh, I think, high school chemistry was like. Third year in physics, they kind of combined mm-hmm. the two of them. But I had three, you know, in, in, uh, I had three separate sciences, and, and then it was junior high, and then because I had three years of junior high, three years of high school. <laughs> but I think they were basically repeated: earth science, you know, uh, chemistry, mm-hmm. physics, 
and biology. Those are the, those are the three basic sciences for, for high school, right? Yeah, physical science, life science, and earth science. Those were yeah. the three main sciences that they had. Right. And they don't have those anymore? Unfortunately, no, well, Piaki's once comment. the space program... Hold on, Piaki. Hold on. Hold on. All right, I want, yeah, I want to hear about I'll get you in just back in a second. So I want to get these straight in people's minds. Life science, earth science, and, and uh, uh, physical science. Physical. Right, mm-hmm. okay. And it depended on what school you went to. What Those were usually traditional, quote-unquote, sciences. But now well, didn't all schools teach that at some point? Uh, pretty much similar. I think it just had to do with the order. In other words, some school districts... Would well, have a little order, bit doesn't matter when, as long as they include them. But wasn't that the standard of education? You know, I was in school 60s through 80s, early 80s when right. I graduated college. But I started we're, elementary we're, school we're in the 60s. Yeah. yeah, okay. We're I had all, right. And, okay. and I came, I got into earth science strictly on accident when my I had a professor in college show me the picture of the bodies at Pompeii. I was like, I can do this. It was hmm. awesome. I'll never forget seeing the people who were buried at Pompeii, and that made me decide to become an earth scientist. That's where it came from. And kids love that. When I'd show them that kind of stuff, eighth graders love that. They, oh, my God, look at that. The kids, but that's where enthusiasm comes in, well, and I we mean, don't have enthusiasm. I think they tell you the fun of science in school. But let me get Piaki's comment. You were saying, talking about different school districts, Piaki? Yeah. No, it depends on the school districts. The, the local communities control what's taught in those schools. At least they should be. But <laughs> what school district would not? What school district would not teach science? I mean, I guess they're doing it now. But why? Why would they not teach it? What are they? It, what are they doing it's instead? The, it's up to the school district. Right. It's the district. I, can, it's, it's, I know Missouri, and I know a little bit about something. But the statutes in the state allow. That could be determined by the local community. But you know what I was going to tell Mike? Uh, you talk about uh-huh. the tilt of the earth and rotation of the earth. That's affected by structures that's being built. Like the Grand Gorge Dam that China built, it's caused the rotation of the earth to slow down, you know, of course, milliseconds. But milliseconds can make a difference when you're talking about the radiation from the sun. And it's heating up more so than what it was. In the past, like a rotisserie, you speed up the rotisserie, the meat cooks slower. You slow it down, the meat cooks faster. I've never heard this. Well, this is news to me. And, well, what one of the biggest things is the earth also does not rotate evenly. The earth wobbles on its axis. It's called precession of the axis. So the earth does like something like eight or ten different motions. People, of course, know about rotation, revolution, but then there's things like, you know, motions through space. There's the wobbling of the axis, and the Earth actually tides, actually speed the Earth up and slow it. The pull oh. of the moon and the sun creating the tides actually slows and the Earth down axis, and speeds it up. That axis takes 25,000 years to go through all 12 houses of the, what we call the zodiac. Yep. The procession of the axis, and it it points towards Polaris normally, yeah, and then it points towards oh I gotta look it up, Sirius. 
I Are you serious? It. I'll <laughs> I'm have just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I find it hard to believe, though, that a man-made structure changes the Earth's rotation speed. That does not make sense to me. Yeah, it does. Not only that, but asteroid hits do, too. Okay. Well, depending on the size of the asteroid, I, I can buy that. But it's like, does the Great Wall of China slow us down? I don't think so. I, that doesn't make, you know, and, and I'll get into well, the windmill NASA slowing me- down the wind. NASA measured it. NASA measured it. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to see something. Mike, do you know anything about that? I, I'm going to look it up. I'm, I'm okay. taking notes as we go through. So I've yes. got about 20 well, things to look up so far. Well, so okay, so I that's, that's going to get you more shows, you know, and that's how we do it here. We, uh, you know, the, we, the, every show generates like 10 shows. <laughs> that's just going to work. Because I'd be curious. I'm going to get a break. I'm going to I just don't. I'm skeptical. That's why I'm curious. Go ahead, you know, another Am thing, the shifting of the continents, the shifting of the continents over time has affected the uh, rotation of the Earth. You still have a mass that you're trying mm-hmm. to move. And, I mean, that's the principle. That is a scientific principle. Well, yeah, the plates, mad. If the plates move further north, I think the, the, uh, the is it the North American plate or the Pacific plate? Because I know they meet along the San Andreas Fault. I've forgotten one of them is moving north and the other is moving south, and they're kind of moving across each other. That's why we have all the problems. I mean, the North American plate is going under the Pacific plate, and it's pushing up the, the, the uh, mountains on the, on the coast of California. But, but the question is, as a plate moves further north, that, that the, the climate over that plate is going to change. Just like it moved for, if it moved further oh, yeah. south. That's why, right. that's why you have coal deposits in Antarctica. How could you have tropical plants deposited right. and creating coal in Antarctica? Mm-hmm. Well, Antarctica had to be someplace else. And or, it was, result, or it was a lot warmer. You know, I mean, well, let's, let's talk about the polar, polar ice caps. Between, in, in, during, between ice ages, especially when the dinosaurs were around, were there polar ice caps or was it completely green? I mean, are polar ice caps a function of the Ice Age cycle? Well, the Earth's been a lot warmer and wetter. During Cretaceous and during Jurassic, during the science, during the times of the dinosaurs and the large numbers of insects, the atmosphere was way different. It was a lot higher carbon dioxide. See, mm-hmm. these, these scientists killed wait, 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 wait. They talk about we had, carbon dioxide. We had higher carbon dioxide and we didn't die? Climate change didn't you, kill everything? No. This no, is the point you higher oxygen. Oh, yeah, this is the you point I wanted to make. Higher oxygen content too. That's why from yeah. the animals roost yep. down Okay, let's let's that, that's a good point. Let me Greg, let's you don't carbon. know this. Well, I don't know everything. I try. Give me give me a chance. This is why I have you guys on. This is why I surround myself with smart people. Let's talk about carbon dioxide first, and then let's talk about oxygen because this is fascinating. And then we can talk about why the air is so much nitrogen. Carbon dioxide. So let's let's go for a dinosaur environment. Mike, describe it. In terms yeah. of carbon dioxide, um, extremely warm, much wetter. How warm? Uh, what are we talking about for temperatures? Continent. Over 100 degrees all the time? 120 degrees? How hot was it? I would have to look it up. It, 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 well, whatever it was, it had to be able to sustain those huge amounts <clears throat> of creep flora and fauna, both the plants and the animals. So you had so ferns that had like to 50 be feet across. We're talking, we're talking huge plants, right? Huge trees. Yeah, um, uh-huh. there's a there is a the scientific name for it. Don't the redwoods go back to prehistoric times? Never to, to a dinosaur time. The times? redwoods. No, no, no. The redwoods were afterwards. Okay. Um, I've got to look it up. I feel bad because I don't have a timeline in front of me. I'll get a don't timeline for it. next time. Mike, Mike you're just getting started again well, with you know, this. One give thing, it a chance. Yeah. 
Pianki. Yeah. One thing that the one thing the reason why is that because at one point in time this planet was a molten ball, and it begins to cool down. And the further you get away from the time, as it goes to cool down, then when life starts to appear, well, the mm-hmm. planet is still hotter then than what it is now from that cooling. Is that because it gets the, to a point? The, okay. Oh, that makes sense. All right. Well, let's go to let's go to I want to go back to dinosaur time. So we've got we've got warmer temperatures. We've got a lot more carbon dioxide, and so the climate idiots today will come along and say that, well, the temperature is going to warm up, you know, 1.5 degrees, or we're, we can't have any more than, you know, a two degree increase. And it's a bunch of nonsense because this planet has been a whole lot warmer and it's been a whole lot colder during the ice ages when we had 50 foot, 100 foot thick ice sheets, you know, in Yosemite. I know I've been mm-hmm. to Yosemite. It's, it's beautiful, but that's, that's middle California. Mm-hmm. And so the range of and temperatures the that this earth has been at and the range of carbon dioxide, in fact, the most dangerous time, according to Gregory Wrightstone, a friend of mine at the CO2 coalition, was in the mid-1800s when CO2 was like 180 parts per million and 150 parts per million. That's when the plants start dying. So we were within 30 parts per million of, of losing life on this planet until we started burning organic fuels and put the carbon back into the air, which is fascinating. We'll talk about that in a minute. Too. Yeah. But how... What are we talking about? Four thousand parts per million during the dinosaurs? Ten thousand? How, how much? How much carbon dioxide uh, was it? Nobody was there to measure it. <laughs> well, I can, yeah, I, I can tell you. The, I've heard four thousand. It was enough to, that figure. I've heard four thousand parts. When per you million. When you look at what it sustained, right. look at the coal beds that were laid down, laid down during that time period from the dead plants. Uh-huh. The amount of coal that was created during Pennsylvania and Mississippian times is huge. That's where so all the coal fields in. Had to be warm then. Yeah, it had to be warm. It was. Right. And the problem is they're ignoring this. You know, I, I think I told you, you know, uh-huh. really, I could contribute or attribute the 1,500 people who died on the Titanic. Uh-huh. We could attribute that to global climate change. <laughs> because for the first time, uh, no, 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 works. let me, let me okay. do this real quick. Okay. Here's what happened. The Labrador current, for whatever reason, in the Gulf Stream had moved too far south. They oh. pulled icebergs from up by Nova Scotia during right. that, that year into the shipping lanes. Well, guess what ship happened to be coming along? The Titanic. Oh, and by the way, that, that glacier was two years old. That glacier wasn't created one day and just plopped in the water. It had right. been floating around forever, and those currents off of Labrador pulled all that water south. And as it pulled south, it pulled the iceberg south. Into the shipping so lanes to New York, say, right? Yeah, yeah. You could say, you <laughs> uh-huh. could say that, hey, the tight the folks, the fifteen hundred people who died on the Titanic, it was global climate change. It was yeah. a change in the temperature. That's fascinating. But here's the, here's the, I, I, that that really is fascinating. No, I mean, but the big point is that these idiots that think that they can legislate away our freedom, that if they suddenly channel every part of our life, if they take away, you know, all of our our, our organic fuels you know, and then just have us on green energy of solar and wind. And of course, a lot of that power is going to come from organic fuels anyway, uh, coal, oil, natural gas, and uranium. Uh, these people are idiots because the forces are so huge. The forces of nature, the forces of gravity, of centrifugal force, of temperature, of carbon dioxide, of, of ice ages and, and tropical ages, when Greenland really was green. That's what the Vikings called it. They called it Greenland. They didn't call it Greenland because it was full of ice. They called it Greenland because it was green. You know, and so it wasn't that long yeah. ago that Iceland was really green, you know. And so, I mean, Greenland yeah. was really it was green. So instead of being a glacier area. So the, but the, but let me get to Mike and then I want to get to Bianchi. But the, the, the point is 
that these idiots that think that they can pass legislation, all they're doing is taking away our freedom. It has nothing to do with the climate. You cannot affect the climate. The forces are too great with simple legislation of restricting your little SUV or, or all the other stupid things they want to do to reduce the carbon footprint. You know, when carbon dioxide is actually good for the environment, these people are morons. And then Pianchi. Well, and what's the bottom line with everything? What's always the bottom line, Greg? Freedom. Money. Think okay. about it. Freedom, right. but at what cost? Yeah. But at what cost? That's the problem. Think about well, it. Well, freedom is they just taking away our rights. The whole purpose of, of yeah, the climate exactly. change debate is to take away our rights. Well, that has nothing to do with the weather or the climate. So it never why did. don't people see? Just so the Inflation think, Act. Okay. But it, do you, do you means, see that a lack of science education has allowed these propagandistic morons or idiots to convince everybody that, oh, my God, we can actually – not only is there climate change – um, that is dangerous, which is ridiculous, um, but that they can legislate it and actually change the weather. How do you change the weather with legislation? You can't. That's just insane. Mike, now we've got a piece. But they you answered the question hold on, earlier. Hold, hold on. I want, I want to get Mike's view on this. I want to kind of try to order here. The I'm truth, sorry. Mike. Yeah, that's okay. The, the truth is stranger than fiction. What they want to do is to create control, and the way they can do it is through these various environmental efforts and things like that. The Inflation Act was not about inflation. It was a big, giant, green energy plan, and you have to go through and look at it. Yeah, Yeah. but but the idea that you can legislate the weather is is, is the point I'm trying to get, and only an idiot would believe – that you can legislate that uh, your individual actions are going to have such a massive effect on the environment. We're talking about, you know, intergalactic forces all in play here. It's just, we're just not that powerful or that significant. And I don't get Bianchi's point. Mike. Yeah. We, one asteroid is all it took to wipe out millions and millions of species on the planet. Mm-hmm. Think about it. That was a natural occurrence. It didn't happen because some country was attacking the Earth or some aliens. Mm-hmm. That asteroid, that impact altered life on this planet, changed everything. Mm-hmm. We can talk all we want to about what we might be able to do as man, but let's face it, when it comes to that tornado coming down the street or an earthquake going off or any of these things, what are we going to do? <laughs> uh, all we can do is pick up the pieces, and that's the way it is. Or and shelter. we have this... this yeah. Yeah, we have this idea that somehow we're going to alter the Earth. No, it's not going to work that way. <laughs> okay. the Earth's that, that's the point I wanted and to the, make, yeah. Let's get Piaki's point. Yeah. Well, you answer your question. Your question is, is why is because of the education of people. It never would fool me. Right. Another point, when asteroids hit the Earth, it heats the Earth up because that energy turns to heat. It's just like if you take a block of metal and you keep pounding and pounding until – it started off as 12 inches, now it's 6 inches. Well, try to touch it. You burn your hand. Well, that same effect happens to the Earth. And you know, you mentioned earlier about the Cap- uh, Tropic of Capricorn. Well, the Tropic of Capricorn is inching up toward the north. Therefore, northern hemisphere is going to heat up more so than what it was when the Tropic of Capricorn was down about 22 and a half degrees. North. So uh, all those things take into effect. There's nothing man can do. And you know, another thing, Mike, I think with these gradual earth changes, it psychologically changed human beings. 
because now they're living under a different environment and different exposures, which normally would. You know, you can go through the equator. You're way more on the equator than you would if you stay at the North Pole. But uh, all these things come into play. Let's see if he's still there. Mike has to run, so I don't know if he's if he's still on the line. Mike, you still there, or do you have to go? Yeah, no, no, I'm here. Uh, okay. I've got to run out the door here in a minute. But, right. yeah, I think uh, uh, when you talk about the Earth and about the Earth's history, they're ignoring why is it that the left wants to ignore history, get rid of history, pulling down statues to ignoring scientific facts. It's like the asteroid never hit. It's like they, they don't understand you know, that, that you're going to have hurricanes. Uh, you know, they didn't complain about the one of the worst hurricanes to ever hit the United States was in 1900, mm-hmm. the uh, storm that hit at Galveston. And it mm, killed thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. But you don't hear, that's where the Galveston seawall came from. You mm. don't hear any mention of that disaster. It was like 15,000 people. And it was so bad, they had to, the bodies kept drifting back into shore they burned the bodies on top of all the wood from the houses that were destroyed. Wow. And, and the left wants me to talk about or wants me to believe that man created all that. No, sorry, didn't happen. The earth has a lot of different things that, that we can't control. And the left refuses to believe that. They just, that doesn't fit their scenario. Their narrative doesn't fit that. So, uh, I'll get frustrated. <laughs> no, but this is but interesting. I mean, what, I, what I've learned about the climate is that it's, uh, it's not that CO2 causes the Earth to warm. It's that when the Earth warms, it creates more CO2. They've got it backwards. Mm-hmm. Of course they do. It's like everything the left has. It's always backwards. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, sir. All right. Well, thank you, Greg. So, i got to take off, but thanks, guys. Thanks, Pianchi. Thank yeah, let's see if we can Thanks, Mike. Week, always a pleasure. All right. I can't All wait till Friday comes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there we go. Thanks, Mike. All right. So I'm trying to get you know Mike's busy like all of us are, and, and I, was, I was explaining that you know none of our reporters are here every week, but I'm gonna try and uh, set this hour aside for Mike, and hopefully Candace will be back in a few weeks also. She's got some stuff to take care of, um, and so it's uh, we have gaps. We you know we fill them in. We get different guests coming in, and uh, uh, all kinds of folks. We had Randy fill in for uh, Tara today, and that worked out. And Derek's out. He's he's got stuff to do. So uh, you know. I'll try and get Mike as often as I can because I love him on the show. We need a science. We need a science hour. We just do. Yeah, I love science, but uh, one of the reasons why come uh, people are able to fool folks is because folks are ignorant. They're yeah. not educated. Yeah. And you uh, and people can say it's planned. I don't know if it's planned or not. I know that the end results. I know they wasn't able to propagandize Cuba. Because uh, Castro made sure that his, a large portion of the population was literate, and they could decipher. No, I, I think I think that's part of the plan of of uh, you know it's been around since the um, the Prussian the Prussian model of education that we adopted in the eighteen hundreds under Horace Mann, you know that went across the country and, and uh, the Prussian model. Um, I remember this video. I don't even think it's available anymore, but it talked about how the, the problem in World War One for the Prussians was that uh, their officers were thinking independently. They weren't just following orders. Of course, that's actually a strength, how our military, military works, that officers can you know, have a certain amount of independence, especially the field commanders. Um, but the Prussians didn't want that. They wanted uh, top-down absolute authority, people exactly following orders. So they created an, an education system that would, um, that would you know, produce that. 
And so the schools became little cubicles and cells and just like they are now. And they had bells to condition people to, you know, moving during bells and, they, and all the different things that, uh, that are happening. In fact, the, the video I post on our, our comedy page talks about how this was an early automobile and look what it is now. And this was an early phone and this is what it is now. And this is a schoolhouse from the 1800s and it hasn't changed a bit. They're still the same desk. They still look exactly the same. Still rows and columns and the, you know, and so education really hasn't changed. And the model is to make obedience. The whole purpose of the Prussian system that we adopted is to create obedience, not to create independent thinkers. And so to become an independent thinker, you actually have to be independent of the education system. I didn't do well in school. Uh, I, you know, and I'm not a stupid guy, you know, but uh, I, I didn't work well in an oppressive system for obvious reasons. I didn't work well in an oppressive radio system either. That's why I have my own show here on Blog Talk. So I can say what I want. I can do what I want and I can create what I want. And there's no way I could create the stuff that I create here uh, if I was part of a network with a bunch of rules and things like that. So you, you make a top-down hierarchical education system where creativity is, is uh, uh, restricted and suppressed and, and thought badly of and, and uh, gotten rid of as much as possible. And everybody learns the same thing. Everybody learns well, the standardized test. It's suppressed at the bottom end also. You just got to know yep. how to recognize it. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, as far as the sciences is, is, is going on, uh, that's not taught. If young people was taught these things, and also uh, teaching science has to be demonstration, has to be hands-on, so you can feel it, you can smell it, you can taste right. it, yep. and that makes better for understanding. Uh, this whole thing about climate change is because of uh, what they what they politicize. It's because of of the things that the earth is going through. The earth is alive. It's not dead. Yeah. And, but, but my point is that you can't do anything about it through legislation. You cannot, you know, if you restrict freedom, it's like gun control. You know, it's like criminals do bad things with guns. That's what makes them criminals. But taking guns away from the honest people isn't going to change that. The environment is independent no, of, of these socialist legislators. You can't take away people's freedoms and have the climate change. It doesn't work. There's no connection. That's just an excuse. That's a fear. That's a mass psychosis that you scare enough people enough that the world's going to end. Every time they say the world's going to end, we pass that deadline. Of course, you know, we announce it, but, you know, the, the, the people that make the deadline, they never say it. But uh, there's no reason for this, that your SUV is fine, that well, burning organic fuels is good for the environment. If we didn't have the Industrial Revolution, we might have been dead by now for lack of CO2. How many people know yeah, that? But it still goes back. It still goes back, Greg, to people. And I hear what you're saying. You're absolutely right. Well, people are dumb. And people can be made afraid of anything, seemingly nowadays. Mm-hmm. But a lot and of if it they is, knew science, it would, yeah. it would go away. You know, like you may mention about intelligent design. There's, there's examples out there where it don't work, where okay. planets are pulled into their sun. Because of a lack of a, a lack of an effect that's needed to create inertia, and also even our planets that uh, have inertia in their spinning is also affected by uh, objects further on out in space. So, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it's it's just the oh, way no, things uh, are. And, and the stars do go supernova, and, and they they swallow the planets around them. Yeah, that happens. That's going to happen to our the sun. The thing eventually. that we need to worry about is in black holes. Black holes have the potential to, yeah, you know, dis- destroy the sun and everything else. What what is what they are doing? 
So if you can't see yeah, if there's an intelligent design, which I believe there is, otherwise the electrons would all fly apart, the universe would collapse. You know, there's, there's got to be something holding all these forces together. And, and Einstein and all the geniuses, they all say the same thing, that uh, this is that there is, you know, a, a, a uniformity to all this. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. And so, but part of that uniformity includes supernova. I mean, everything dies. That's, that's part of the cycle. Stars die, people die. Everything has a, has a finite lifespan. And so planets, the same thing. Now, some of those lifespans are really long, you know, and that's a good thing because I don't want to, I don't have to face a supernova in my lifetime. We'll be long gone. So, you know, we got, we got other things to worry about. Um, but, uh, but as far as, as these, these forces go, these incredible forces, uh, th- that's part of the design. And I think part of the thing of being a human is not understanding why we have to have stars go supernova. That's why it. we have so human many galaxies. Beings don't, we don't. Human beings yes. don't know. Yeah. Hopefully someday. But That's what it is. Well, they don't know. Well, let me ask you, you know, my, one of my favorite intelligent design questions. Why would God create a universe this big and only put life on one planet? Well, you don't know what's on other planets. Exactly. And just and like I point. told you, you know, one thing that we can attribute climate change, as we talk about heat, is the fact that the sun, which is expanding, is helium. Helium to hydrogen, hydrogen to carbon. Right. It's expanding its helium, and mm-hmm. as it does so, its circumference expands. And it's expanding. It will soon consume Mercury, then Earth. But before it consumed Earth, we'd be long gone because of the heat. But that's right. happening. It's hotter today than what it was last year because of that effect. It may just be microscopic, but when you're talking about something as large as old King Soul, it makes hmm. a lot of difference. We can feel. Yeah, so now how fast is this happening? I mean, there's, there's a lot of helium in there. You know, the sun's been around several billion years. It's projected to be around several billion more. So how much, how much heat effect are we talking about? Well, if it can't said, be much. If it's, three billion, if it's 3 billion, 1 second, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, it's a clock that's ticking that it will meet its goal at some point in time in the future. But the right. thing is, like I'm saying, when you're dealing with something as large as the sun, a microscopic movement towards you would make a lot of difference in the ambient temperature that you're walking around in. Yeah, I don't think the difference is because the sun. Yeah, but I think the the differences are more the solar flare cycle, the sunspots, the uh, the energy of the sun, the the wobble of the Earth, all the things. I don't think the sun is expanding that rapidly because of a loss of helium. That I've not. No, it don't have to. It don't have to expand rapidly. It's but it is expanding. It's a lot bigger today, uh, circumference wise, than it was say a billion years ago. Or even a hundred years ago. Now, does that change the heat thrown off? I mean, was it throwing off as much heat when it was smaller? No, because it's been. Have you ever stood next to? If you you had a, if you know, uh, in the old days we had pot belly stoves in the house. Okay. Right. If you had a combustion material, you had to keep it so far away from the stove. Now, if the stove swelled and got closer to your combustion material. Well, the possibility that that combustion of material would flare up mm-hmm. because it got closer to it. Well, the same yes. thing as doing. Especially if you had a pop belly stove with a, the grate and it was throwing out uh, embers, you know, like solar flares. Yeah, we used to cook hamburgers on them. Had that oh, little there you patties. Go. 
Good one. Sounds like fun. All right, let's take a break, and we can come back. We can talk about more about this, and then I'll invite Mark to join us. Anybody else wants to? Did you know one thing? Before you take a break, I I didn't even get my phone number out. I'll do it. I'll start again. Yeah, but real quick, let's get this real quick. Sure. Because these changes do what? They change the human being. They change the psychological, the psychotics of a human being. It's just like the frog. In the in the pot, he, the water is getting hotter and hotter. And then sooner or later, the frog will either jump out or it's too late. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens to human beings when the when the environmental conditions that a human being is physiologically is exposed to is going to cause changes. And that's why we yeah, but so, I don't maybe think... that's why we see so many ignorant people. <laughs> no, I think we're people are ignorant by design. Um, that uh, we've had a progressive, you know, uh, idiocracy. That's the point of government schools. Uh, oh, Marco says that's a BS story about the frog. About the frog in the boiling water? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a metaphor. I don't, I don't know if it actually happens that way. I'm not sure. It's a metaphor. Marco, it's not a story. I don't know if anybody put a frog in the water. Yeah, Lobsters exactly. don't jump out. <laughs> People lost it in boiling water. Well, you know, and actually that was kind of cruel. I remember reading an old cookbook. I've got like a, like a 1950s joy of cooking. It's been in my family for forever, and I, I ended up with it. Uh, as uh, my folks bought newer versions. But anyway, it talks about putting a, a lobster in a pot of cold water and turning up the heat and gradually warming it up to cook it. I think that's cruel. I would never do that to a lobster. You know, but I have put lobsters into boiling water, put them well, on the back, stroke the belly a few times. What, what's that? <laughs> Are you going to hit them across the hip? No, no. You, you, you put them on their back. You know, you, you stroke their belly a few times and they kind of relax and then you toss them in. It's still cruel. I, I have a hard time doing it. I've done it. I haven't done it lately, but yeah, uh, but lobsters taste really good. So yeah, you, you throw them into a pot of boiling water. Now, Fisherman's Wharf, they don't you care. Know, they just toss them in. They just throw them in by the You know, the bushel. Another thing to prove that other theory, I mean, uh-huh, that? Prove that other theory is exposure to chemicals. You know, your immediate exposure to a chemical don't bother mm-hmm. you as much as your long-term exposure mm-hmm. to the chemical. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. I agree. So Mark was talking about the, the myth of the frog. The, the, the frog will jump out of the pen as soon as it gets warm. Of course it will. As I said, it's a metaphor. God, I don't believe it actually works. But what, what does work is that people become gradually used to ever more tyranny, and they come to accept it. They come to accept a lower standard of education. You know, and it comes down to what we said earlier in the, with Mike when he first got on, expectations. I mean, expectations are really the key to, expect, to education. If you expect that your kids will be educated and you make sure it happens, they're going to be. You know, I mean, I exceeded my parents' expectations, but my parents had very low expectations. I didn't. I had very high expectations for myself. That's why I sought knowledge outside of school. If the only knowledge I acquired was in school, I'd be an idiot. Like all the other people that only get their knowledge yeah, from school. Will. Yeah, but school you is not what you get your knowledge from. I don't yeah, know what you limited for. by the person that's teaching you, too. Yeah, yeah. I probably I figure I had five I good teachers. Uh, you know, go ahead. That's why I come you don't have to have certified teachers. The best teacher for a mm-hmm. student is mm-hmm. just like their apprentice program. It's the person who has the knowledge in what it is that someone needs to learn. Oh, yeah. And they get no, their I... knowledge based on experience. Well, see, the reason they certify teachers is to make sure they're all dumbing kids down the same way. I mean, that's a conditioning process, too. I mean, the last people, you know, colleges don't, you don't have to have a, an education degree to teach in college. You think the people teaching physics have an education degree? No, they got a degree in physics. 
Now, they may not be great teachers, but yeah, that's another story. Yeah. But you don't have to have for college. Mm-hmm. But for, for high school and elementary school and junior high, you do. You have to have an education degree. But if you teach in a private college, you, you don't know, have to have an education that, degree. Uh, I experienced that with a, with a high school. It was a black high school, Normandy School District. And uh-huh. I wanted to introduce emergency medical technician, which is EMT, to the high school students. So when they came out, they had their certification and they can immediately go apply for a firefighter's job. Well, right. the board, not the, not the local board, but state board, said that that instructor would have to have a teacher's degree, right. like what you said. Yep. That's ridiculous. Well, well, look at flight instructors. I don't have to – now, I took – Principles of Learning, Laws of Learning, Reginald Thorndike, that kind of stuff. And they actually went over the process of how people learn. And some of it was actually useful. Flight training is pretty good about that. But I don't have an education degree, and yet I was get, you know, signing off people to go take their FAA check rides. We didn't, none of us had an education degree. And we're teaching flying. Well, experience gets you out of a spin better than a book. <laughs> well, did I ever tell you my spin story? It's probably just a aggressive bit. So me... I was one of these weird kids when it came, or, or, or you know, folks when it came to learning how to fly. I actually read the book, and I actually followed the procedures. And so we're up in a 152, and this is back when I was at uh, Sierra Academy, and I was going for my uh, CFI, my instructor's rating, and I had to have spin training. And my instructor had already shown me, you know, a spin before, so I wasn't completely new to it. But I had a new, I had an instructor who never taught spin training, and I had me who had never done them. I mean, I'd watched one. Um, but what was interesting was there we are. And it's, it's spin training is the only time you don't have to uh, have a parachute for aerobatics because if you're going for your, your CFI training, it's required for your CFI certificate. So if you're going for a CFI spin training endorsement, you don't have to wear a parachute, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, that's how you get around the rules. But the point was, I remember in the manual, it said, you know, reduce power, neutralize the ailerons, you know, and it said uh, push briskly forward on the stick. Well, guess what I did? <laughs> so I did exactly that, you know. Uh, okay. I, think, I think our first one was power off. But when I said briskly forward, you know, what we're doing was so it's ailerons, rudder, and then elevators. So, so you neutralize your ailerons, you know, and you pull the power, uh, and then you, you stop the rotation with the, uh, the rudder, and then briskly forward on the stick. Well, I pushed so far briskly forward, we actually ended up in an inverted spin. And so we're upside down spinning, <laughs> okay? And, and we're in the, the structure, we're looking at other, each other going, Wait a minute! I push. I did what I was supposed to do. He says, "Yeah." I, so I said, "What's happening?" He says, "I don't know. We're upside down, spinning, spinning inverted." Right? He says, "Let go of everything." Says, okay. <laughs> so we let go. The plane right itself. I said, "I think you a little too far forward on the, on, the, on the stick." But that's what the manual said. So the manual's not always right, but most times it is. Anyway, so what I found. Yeah, you flipped doing, over. I, we did. We were actually spinning on our back. We're inverted spinning in a Cessna mm-hmm. 152. So we were, we were kind of like test pilots. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that, by the way. But I, I followed the instructions. Okay, it wasn't like I, was, I wasn't willfully violating the regulations. Did, I was just, you know, go ahead, Pianchi. Did that 152, one of the wings didn't tear off. One no, no, it was G-forces. Struts, there were no G-forces. No, no. Actually, we were perfectly safe. Because yeah. the G-forces in a spin are zero. There's no stress on the airplane. The stress what on the pilot. The is that the one... The 152, the struts come from the bottom of the fuselage up to the wing. Right. And that's, yeah, but when, you, <laughs> when you're upside down, it's working just the opposite. When are you well, here but, today? Well, uh, the, for a lot of reasons, it's lucky I'm here today. You know, just, just going through college, it's lucky I'm here today. But anyway, um, but, uh, but the point of it was that a spin is a zero-G maneuver. There's no forces on the wing. The forces come when you pull out of the spin. 
that's when the G-forces hit. But you and know what? So, uh, that is uh-huh. very – see, when you upside down, everything changes. No kidding. <laughs> First of all, your orientation. Where's the world? Oh, there it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not where it's supposed to be. <laughs> and you're still falling, and you're still falling toward Earth. I mean, that don't slow spin, up. And you're rotating, so too. You, so we're in an airplane upside yeah. down and rotating. And everything, of course, the control so you are, you are super confused. You are super mm-hmm. confused. It takes That's why we let go. of a person to come out of that. Uh-huh. Well, we we yanked the we pulled the oh, didn't yank it. We pulled the power off, put the car repeat on because it's Cessna, and just let go. And all of a sudden we went whoosh. Oh, that's interesting. Now we're in a dive. And from that, we just gradually added power and eased out of the dive. So, again, we didn't pull the G-forces. And he says, let me try it the way I think it's supposed to be. Well, what I, here's what I found out. And I got good at spins after a while. I got really good at them. I found you could do a three-turn spin in a Cessna 152 uh, in about 800 feet. And you, all you had to ease off the stick was about an inch. Just release a little bit of back pressure. And it'll pull right out of the spin, and you'll have a minimum altitude loss. So we can do three-turn spins. In other words, from the time the spin broke, you know, and we put full rudder in, left or right, left usually went faster because of the propeller. But once you get into that spin, the first rotation is the weird one. That's when it's yawing into it. It feels really strange. That's a use zero Gs. But the second and third rotations are actually kind of comfortable. You don't feel a whole lot. You well, know, you but know, Cessna wants to do damn near flies. Well, that's well, the best plane to learn. Yeah. yeah, but it spins pretty easily if you if you if you uh do the right thing if you do a power on spin that's kind of miserable because it snaps into it you know once you, you if you got full power you know you go from like a departure stall and you put full rudder in and you, mm-hmm. i had an instructor who put full power uh and then we, as we're getting ready for the stall break put full uh left rudder and right aileron so we're in a cross control spin that thing i it just snapped i've never seen anything snap like that that scared me and he's, well, well you know another trick too uh-huh. What's that? Another trick is when you're doing those type of maneuvers, try to look for a ground area that's barren where you have updrafts rather than a foliage area where you don't have any at all. So at least an updraft will keep you up in the air a little bit longer. Well, <laughs> except that it was California in the summertime with the whole area that we practiced in, you know, unless you're over the water. Uh, yeah, but we had practices. We had, we had San Pablo Bay up north. We had over the East Bay Hills, you know, and it was pretty wide open. So there wasn't a lot of folks there. Uh, it, they're there now because California exploded in development. But uh, we used to do, um, we had an abandoned airport. We'd practice off, you know, simulated emergencies, gliding to a landing. You know, we'd practice, you know, what they call dragging the area. We'd fly down about 20 feet and fly across as if we were doing a, a simulated emergency, you know, checking a field out for rocks and dizzy and things. We did all kinds of stuff. I mean, and we had this, uh, my favorite trick, now that we're talking flying, it's, good. it's Friday. Um, we used to have this airport called Byron. Byron Airport just over, over the side of uh, Mount Diablo. It was 4,000-foot mountain. Well, Mount Diablo, have you ever seen pictures of the East Bay? Uh, that's where all the wind farms are. They're all along that, uh, that central valley Mount Diablo area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the Altamont Pass. That's where the Rolling Stones played, and one of the Hells Angels, I think, killed one of the spectators way back in the 70s. Anyway, that's the Altamont Speedway. That's in the, that's in the East Bay uh, where I used to teach flying. Anyway, <laughs> one of our favorite tricks to, to mess with our students um, was there was a longer runway and a shorter runway, but the shorter runway faced into the wind on a hot summer day at the end of the day. And so I tell my students, it was like one of the tests to see if they're ready to, uh, to get their license. So we go out to the end of, uh, I take them the shorter runway and uh, I say, okay, let's go. Let's go home. We're done with our lesson. And they, and they do a normal takeoff. And 
you know, and they take off. And of course, they're into the sun because it's, you know, it's sunset, right? It's getting, the sun's getting low on the horizon. They're taking off. And of course, the performance is terrible because it's hot, you know, and it's a short runway anyway. And so they're taking off and they're trying to climb out into the sun. And I said, by the way, have you looked below? And they're like, and they look down and we're like maybe 100 feet above these, all these massive windmills whipping around. And all of a sudden, they're panicked. Oh, my God, what are, we, what are we doing here? Well, I said, you took the airplane off. You tell me. What are we doing here? <laughs> you know? And I said, how's your climb rate? I said, Can you think we're going to clear that mountain ahead? Well, I don't know. What should we do? I don't know. How about turn? You know? So this was the test. The test was, uh, and then, of course, we get up high, and we, you know, we start to talk. And I said, okay, now, obviously, the lesson wasn't, wasn't over yet, uh, and that was a test. And the test was, were you checking the temperature? checking the performance charts, checking the weight of the airplane, you know, doing a, a, a calculation, you know, could we take off on the short runway into the wind or would the longer runway with a slight crosswind have been better? What was the terrain ahead? Did you evaluate the takeoff? Did you check the windsock? Did you check anything before we went or did you just go? And the answer obviously was just went. And so the lesson for me for teaching students was, okay, never do that. Just because an instructor says do something, you know, uh, don't automatically do it. You know, and if it, what if a, what if a passenger said that, or what if someone else? And what if you got a control from uh, air traffic control that told you to fly, you know, at a heading and altitude, and it was taking you into a mountain? And I've had that happen. I said, would you would you fly into a mountain, or would you say no? I can't accept that clearance. You know, so that was the lesson. But anyway, it was uh, one of the laws. Um, what is it? The law of uh, oh, I forgot what it is. Vivid experience was was uh, one of the laws of learning. The law of intensity. There we go. So this actually is a theory in education of airplane flying, the law of intensity. And so the law of intensity says that a vivid experience will be more remembered than, uh, you know, a boring one. <laughs> so that was one of the most intense things we did was we took off, had our students take off into the sunset, into the windmills, and all of a sudden look down and see right below them these, these whipping windmills. I said, are you going to land in the windmills if we have an engine failure? Oh, no, I didn't think about that. You know, but this, is, this, is, this is how I used to teach. Ah, oh, it was fun. Anyway, <laughs> that was my lesson. Pianchi? Pianchi's left. He's bored. A lot of experience. Well, it was a good experience because my students came back, you know, years later and said, you know, thank you for your training. Here's where it came in handy. And they tell me about these horrendous crosswinds they got caught in or that engine problem. One student, it was fascinating, um, told me about how uh, his seat broke. And Cessna's had a problem with the seat latch for a while. And pilots were actually dying because their seat would, would go back to the end of the track and be back in the rear seat. And they couldn't reach the controls anymore. And they'd panic and go crazy and do stuff. My student actually unbuckled the seatbelt in takeoff, right, crawled up on his knees and flew the airplane on his knees uh, until he could bring the seat up and sit properly. That's that's my student, all right? Because it's like, I said, whatever you have to do, you do. Improvise. You know, it's like uh, Clint Eastwood, you know, improvise, overcome, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But yeah, but uh, those are the kind of things that, that I used to teach. Is like it doesn't matter what's happening, you got to deal with it. So deal with it. Be creative. Think of something unusual. So I had a student fly on his knees. Isn't that a cool story? Yeah, and you know one other thing too. I, I uh-huh. wanted to get to Mike on. But I wish you'd get some people from NASA on your show. But I'm interested in what the future in propulsion is going to look like because uh, if we're talking, you can't have uh, Jetson-style flying cars with quad blades on it that just ain't gonna work it's too damn bad but uh well let's let's that's actually a really good proposal. point um yeah well it's uh, let me i'm gonna make a note to myself i'm gonna put nasa down here in my notepad 
Uh, I've talked to NASA people. I'm not having them on the show, but when I was writing my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, all that section on, on why Bernoulli's theory isn't the most uh, prominent, you know, in terms of why an airplane flies. It's much it's, it's as much pressure under the wing as much as the, the, angle, the angle of attack is really much greater than the camber. Um, and so this is what they were explaining to me. I've got the actual NASA uh, aerodynamic handbook that explains all this. Uh, explains lift in a way that I'd never seen. I sit on the flying books, and I start explaining it to my instructors, my students this way. I'm like, well, that's not what it says in the book. I said, I know, but this is how it really works. So I said, come back to me after you get your license, and I'll, I'll really teach you how to fly. And I used to do that. I used to, you know, once they got their license and they, they said the things they were supposed to say, then I spent a few hours with them. And we'd actually go over the aircraft manual and talk about maximum performance, real performance, you know, flying to the limit of your, of your cruise endurance and the altitude that you can go and, you know, and planning descents from 8,000 feet instead of 3,000. You know, and so a lot of things are not being taught, and they're dumbing down pilots just like they dumb down, uh, you know, students in school. And one of the biggest mistakes is, is taking spin training out of uh, out of flight instruction. Nobody should fly an airplane unless they at least entered a spin, at least a one turn spin, and be able to get out of it, recognize when it's happening, and deal with it. It's not that hard. Anyway, just my thoughts. Well, you know, but, uh, when, you know uh-huh. The fly, uh, level flight is more control of your trim than anything else. That's something that a student needs yeah. to learn yeah. also. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's take a break, and I want to talk about uh, the future, the future propulsion, future of aviation, future of, uh, you know, flying drones to work. I think there's, I think we should, uh, that'd be an interesting thing for us. We've covered the news enough. It's 924, so let me take a little break right now. And, of course, anything you want to talk about, too. Uh, same thing, but I think this would be interesting. Let's let's see how we're going yeah, to transition to to the Jetsons. You know, how, how, how are we going to do a yeah, Jetsons kind of thing? Then you'd be flying over the wall rather than trying to climb over. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because I think it'd be more interesting than talking about. We can talk about the news too, but I think this will be more fun. All right, anyway, take a break now. Back in just oh, I don't know a couple minutes. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener. And help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. 
The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. All right, and we are back, so let's get... uh little news theme as we talk about uh, all the, the, the last things going on for this week. So let's add a new feature to the show and call it Future Forecasts. So let's uh, let's talk about the future. Uh, this is something we probably should do a lot more of. Um, I want to do more with aviation. I want to look up some of the great planes in Europe that are coming out because we need a rebirth of aviation. We don't have the pilots. It's too expensive to learn to fly. It's a real problem. But uh, I want to get Pianchi's view on on all these different ways, uh, these flying cars, these drone, you know, like eight propeller drones. You know, I don't want a bunch of idiots up there <laughs> thinking they can just uh, – you know, just hop in their little craft and off they go. It actually takes skill to fly, you know, you, you know. And so the F-8 is a pretty decent job. I think they could do a better job. That's how I wrote my book. But compared to how the DMV handles drivers, the F-8 is light years ahead. 
And it's actually uh, not a bad system, especially for the commercial pilots who really get, uh, get some pretty intense training. Private pilots, no, they don't do a good job with private pilots. Um, they don't fly often enough, and they don't keep their skills. And the way they teach them, I think, uh, is, a, is a large contributor to the, the, the accident record of private pilots. But uh, Pianchi, do you want a bunch of idiots running around in eight propeller drones just hopping into their little spacecraft and off they go? <laughs> It'd be a mess up there. Yeah, it would be a mess. Uh, I don't – I'm uh, skeptical about the battery-powered vehicles anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, surely, you know, ball, drones couldn't have an uh, internal combustion engine on each propeller. So No, they're electric. They're, they're just like a regular drone. Yeah, they are. So you got a bigger battery. Yeah, they I've are. them with eight propellers, right? I've seen guys fly them. You know, they do fly. But these are people that you mm-hmm. know, practice and they're test pilots. So, so if we were going to, first of all, I don't think uh, you'd have that many people flying them. People are nervous. But, you, and he, but you'd have some idiots. So you'd have to have some kind of, you know, we have a driver's license. There'd have to be some kind of certificate. You'd have to have a, uh, a personal drone certificate of some kind. You'd have to have some basic training, some basic weather, you know, you have to have some basic emergency landing stuff. And you should have some kind of uh, communication device with you, like a phone or something like that. But uh, I don't necessarily want it controlled. But these guys are going to run into power lines. They're going to run into uh, towers. You know, they're going to get caught in a little bit of a crosswind. They're going to end up in the water, especially around here. You know, they're going to end up buzzing their friend's house and stalling out and crashing. Things are going to run out of battery power because they're not reading the electric gauges. There's a lot of problems. As much as I, I think it would be really fun to hop in a drone and, you know, fly across town and do my shopping, you know, I think there's going to be some serious problems with people that don't have any kind of flight training. So that's why we have to include some training with these drones or whatever personal flying craft we have. Well, for one thing, for sure, it's going to be a demand. Yeah. And the opportunity is going to provide is going to come for uh, students and for people to use that mode of transportation with those type of instruments. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the important thing that you made about talking about private pilots, or should I say non-commercial, is mm-hmm. the cost that's involved today. The yep. cost is just about prohibited. And we started seeing those changes when they made uh, requirements for transponders. <clears throat> I guess that was back probably in the early 80s sometime around that uh, period of time. Mm-hmm. But the fuel cost, then you got maintenance costs, uh, you do your annual. Uh, those costs limits the average person from have an opportunity to experience that joy. Yeah. Did you ever own an airplane? I've never owned one. I've always rented. Well, we had an old piece of junk. But the... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's still an airplane. Oh, yeah. Marco's checking in from Netherlands. He says that uh, you can't jump in a drone. A uh, drone, by definition, is unmanned, manned, and it's not a drone anymore. Okay, so Marco, what would you call... Uh, a personal flying craft that has eight propellers. It's battery powered, uh, and it is using basically drone technology. I mean, you might have another name for it, but basically, it's using the same thing. And I imagine, you, you like the remote controls you have when you control them from the ground. You can probably mount those right on on your eight you know propeller drone. And I imagine you can control it the same way with a couple of joysticks: one for left, right, you know, up, down, and uh, one for uh, uh, power. You know, and so, you know, is the personal flying craft sounds good. Okay, so, so let's talk about personal flying craft, PFCs. 
I think that's another name. It was a drug name, I think. Anyway, but uh, so personal flying craft. So what, how much, you know, what kind of power, what kind of things can we do with these things? Can they have, uh, have this, this like a ducted fan, you know, thing now where they actually have a, it flies like a jet, but uses a Rotax engine, you know, light sport aircraft. Uh, is that definition going to change like ultralight sport aircraft? Um, I've flown in ultralights, I, you know, I haven't seen it for a while, but uh, ever heard of the MX2, Quicksilver MX2? It's a two passenger ultralight. I'm scared, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. No, I'm, I uh, I went up on a trike. That was that was kind of crazy too. Uh, in fact, I got a video of it. Um, but I don't I don't like uh, para things, para sails, parachute, para anything para. Yeah, like anything that, that has to inflate or anything that has to open or inflate. I want it open before I go. No, I had a great time. I, I did a few flights. Uh, I've actually got some glider types too. I got about two and a half hours in gliders. That's really a kick. That teaches you amazing things about flying. Anyway, but the the um, we used to have a place up in uh, Petaluma, California, and they had this ultralight sales place. It was the sales demonstration, and then also offer rides. And so I went with uh, there's like a husband and wife team. So the husband was a pilot, wife ran all the business stuff. Anyway, so you go up in MX2. It's a side by side ultralight. It's completely open. You know, your feet are out there. You know, kind of on the rudder pedals. It's like sitting in a golf cart. You know, actually, it's less enclosed than a golf cart. And you're up there sitting in this this bucket seat um, with your, your flight suit and goggles and helmet because it does get a little bit loud. There's a big Rotax engine behind you. And it does maybe 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. I'm not sure what. It takes off the ground in about 100 feet, and up you go. Sounds like a little a little model airplane. But we had an eagle buzz us. We had this golden eagle. It's like flying beside us laughing. You call yourselves an airplane? <laughs> golden eagle, like, wings around us. You know, and I said, uh, wow, make sure you don't hit the eagle. I said, are you kidding? The guy says, they're masters of the sky. If they hit us, it's because it's intentional. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. Anyway, so, but it was, really, it was really cool. I love flying in those. Uh, the trike was kind of cool, but it didn't seem as controllable. Uh, trike has a, has a hang glider wing, uh, and you're sitting in the body of the airplane. You actually sit on the fuel tank in the back seat. That's exciting. And the Rotax engine's right behind you, you know, where your helmet can go <laughs> if it ever falls off or your goggles. Um, but uh, the ultra, I, I'm perfectly comfortable in ultralights. Uh, a friend of mine has an A5, yeah, uh, an A5, where you can take the, the doors off and, you know, fly it like a, like a sport plane. So, so, but those are airplanes. Well, even the Yeah, they are, but you ain't going to be doing that now, Joel. You, you got to start uh, having appreciation for old age. And you don't bend like you used to bend when you was twenty years old. Well, I, listen, I'm buying a jet and doing aerobatics, dude. I, uh, there's nothing. I'm still healthy. Now that's you know, a difference. That's a difference right. than an ultralight, though. What? Why? I fly an ultralight. I was up in one a couple of years ago. I was old then. Yeah. <laughs> you may be old. I'm not. I am. I, got, I, got, I am too I, old for that. Okay. See, I get I get years <laughs> of aerobatic. I, I want to have a good 10 years of aerobatic jet flying. Then I'll be happy. So obviously the sooner I start better, but Chuck Yeager was flying until his eighties. Then he gave it up, but uh, you know, I want to get at least by the, by the time I'm uh, 65 to 75, those would be good years to, to fly jets. And, uh, and when I'm too old, I'll just hire an instructor and take him with me in my no, Viper Jet Mark II. Flying jets is, is fine, but these experimental craft like these ultralights and, and that thing where you got the propeller on the back on your on your on your back like a backpack, no, that's not for me. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, the ultralights actually are an airplane. Now, the thing I would never go up in again is a hang glider. I did that and broke my ankle in a couple of places. Feet do not either. land as well as wheels, so I would never do that again. Hmm? I wouldn't either. And a downdraft if it really gets you messed up. 
Oh yeah, exactly. No, hangover is fun. You gotta have air on the. Anything yeah. you gotta have air on the golf. That's not me. I lead it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Else. No, I tried hang gliders three times, and every time I got hurt. <laughs> so uh, I thought, you know, it was. It got progressively worse. I mean, the the, the broken ankle was the worst. I had two spiral fractures. My my foot got caught in a hole, and uh, was still flying. And uh, the rest is I don't want to describe it because it it was pretty painful. Anyway, um, point being that I decided that I was never gonna fly anything that didn't have wheels wheels to land on. My feet are not for landing. Too many forces. Anyway, um, but the but ultralights, I feel perfectly safe in them. As long as the wing is rigid, you know, I don't care if I'm wide out, uh, out in the open. Um, a lot of them have ballistic parachutes now. But there's a class of airplanes. I've got a video on this somewhere. I'll have to look through my flight files. But these, uh, we have what's called a, a light sport aircraft category in the United States now. This, I believe, is a very good future for aviation because they're light. They have this Rotax engine, 100, 150 horsepower, you know, thing. It's, it's all geared. Uh, it's not like a regular airplane. It's a, I forget what, Rotax. Uh, how, how would you describe a Rotax engine? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, the, the, the gearing, they're geared down because the, the, the crankshaft rotates about 5,000 RPMs a minute and they have to slow it down to around, you know, 1,500 or whatever it is for or 2000, you know, for airplane speed. So this, it's, it's going a lot faster than the actual propeller. So they have to gear it down a bit. Um, but uh, Europe is way ahead on this. They have these airplanes that on these little 100, 150 horsepower engines are doing over 200 miles an hour. They're very light. They're carbon fiber. Uh, they're not that expensive, but they can't fly them here. Cause, excuse me. Cause we have this stupid rule. Restricting the airspeed of light airplanes, of sport airplanes to like a hundred knots or something. And these things do 200. So why wouldn't you do that? They're they're very inexpensive. They're expensive to buy, but the operating costs are minimal. They're carbon fiber, so that that preserves it. They're uh, the Rotax engines are easy to maintain. Uh, they have very little fuel. You know the fuel consumption's you know maybe a quarter of of a, of a regular airplane today, and they're they're twice as fast. You know what what's not to like? People still do the uh, kit planes like the sling. You know the sling has got the parachute. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, but there's yeah, but, yeah. But those are airplanes, and they do have certificates, and you do have to have training. But let's talk about the future of of like you know your your personal car, except that it flies. People are going to want that. They're going to want to get around traffic, especially rich people. Well, yeah. Before you get to the really good stuff, is the propulsion system. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has to be developed. That's where uh, innovation, innovative minds, and young people mm-hmm. comes into play. Because right present, you only have a limited number of individuals that's even looking in those directions. But uh, yeah. that's why it's so valuable to get young people involved. But you're going to have to have something that can overcome gravity. Well, yeah. And it's it's. Uh, but the, the question is, you know, what kind of training, what kind of uh, uh, device that we're going to have. So what else is out there for flying? If it's not a uh, an eight-propeller, you know, drone-style aircraft, and they're actually trying to make drone taxis. You hop into yeah. your taxi, you, you, you put your, your ATM card in the slot, and, and it, it takes you automatically. Some, I'm not going to try that. I don't want to fly in some automated idiot craft. Well, they got cars that uh, have fold wings. Uh, right. A drone, I guess well, you the, call the, it. The air car, you whatever land, it's called. You want, when you land, you got three wheels, right. like uh, a trike, 
one in the uh-huh. front, two in the back, and the wings fold up. The quiet wings fold up when you get back down to the ground and go to your parking spot. That's so what that's I heard. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Park it in the street and off you go. Yeah, um, but I could just see people taking off, you know, in a you know, midtown Manhattan, right? And they start winging around the buildings in their personal craft. This is this is where the problem is going to come in. You know, where can you use them? Can you use them in the cities? You know, how much room is it going to take to take off? And I just see people running into, especially wires. Wires bring down. Wasn't there a helicopter that just hit some power lines recently? That's how Bill Gray. Well, that happens. It happens every now and then. Uh, FAA is going to have to vector altitude and space for, in direction for these uh, things to travel. I think the travel will probably be over your major thoroughfare. Then you got your side streets like that mm-hmm. uh, comes up to the thoroughfare. So I think that's going to be something that's going to be uh, practical. Well, GPS, they could probably program the flight plan and steer around towers and things. You've got towers. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing like different levels, like 250 feet, 500 feet, 750 feet, and, and 1,000. 1,000 would be too high for these things. But maybe 500 yeah, and below. You've got some towers at 1,500 feet. So exactly. But those are going to have to be known. That's why you have to know where you're flying. But if yeah. you have a GPS, if you have a GPS that, that has programmed into it obstructions, but see, too, Greg, uh-huh. where the towers are is actually to be the best place to fly because there's no congestion, there's no people on the ground. Yeah, but you got right? wires coming off the towers at an angle. That's the problem with the towers. It's not the towers themselves. It's the wires beside them. Well, yeah, the guidelines. Right now, you're supposed to keep a drone with 2,000 feet left the horizontal from a tower. I'm not sure. I, I don't know drone. We've, we had uh, Kevin Weeks on about drones a little while ago. He's the one yeah, that knows most about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's, we'll go, I'm going to look into uh, a little note to myself, you know, for aviation. So we've covered we've covered a lot today. Um, if you go to my Facebook page. They're going to come of, now. They, they will what? come. I, oh, yeah. I will oh, walk on them. Yeah. But I don't want I, – I don't think I'd want to get in one with no eight well, four, and surely I wouldn't want to be in one with eight. Hey, look, those things can cut your head off. <laughs> I think they need the eight propellers to lift a, a human being. It, it takes a lot of power to do it. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta balance the thrust. You gotta have enough thrust to lift a, you know, a two hundred pound adult. Well, that's a lot of thrust. You might need the eight propellers to do that. And if you lose one, mm-hmm. what if you lose one? You know, you see, you want to have enough propellers to balance. It, it, things should probably be able to fly. You just have to lean to one side or the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they lost the ferry about that in the Philippines. They hear that they'll they were in a, a typhoon. All the passengers ran to one side to get away from the the weather and chipped the chipped the ferry boat over. It's probably overloaded. What um, about the uh, wind? That's you know flying a you ever flew a regular drone? No, no. I've well, I had I, I got my drone yeah, lesson after we did the drone show, but I've only flown one once. It was fun. Yeah, well, the wind and knock those things. Carry those things over quite a way. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why you have a little GPS to find it again. Well, I think with the modern electronics, they're going to figure a way to do that with, uh, you know, obstructions and stuff. And they'll probably have, they'll probably fly at 200 and 400 feet, keep below 500. You know, 200 will be east, you know, 400 will be west. 400 feet like is the minimum now. 400 feet over the object. As you're expecting the roof on the, on the building, that's. Uh, 500 feet, so you're allowed to go up to a total elevation of 900 feet. 
<laughs> but uh, hell, you can hardly see your drone at 900 feet. Well, I know so what I was saying is you're flying in the drone if, if you are in the drone. Or as Mark would say, the, the no, personal no, flying. No, I have never experienced that. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, there's a couple of things, uh, just a little bit of what's been going on in the news. ton of hearings this week. Robert Francis Kennedy on, on censorship. I remember that was a big one. There was a vaccine mandate hearing. Uh, there was the, the, the poor kids that have had, uh, you know, trans surgery that are permanently, uh, you know, their whole bodies are destroyed. Uh, this is a very big week in politics. And, of course, the big one, I think, was the UFO hearings. So if, if people go to C-SPAN, go to my Facebook page, there's a lot of stuff that's out there now. Congress is finally dealing uh, with some things they haven't dealt with. But, there, but I was reading um, uh, Gateway Pundit before the show. And one of the big articles, and Matt Gates was on uh, for Rob Schmidt all last week. You, you can check the recording. Some of them are pretty funny. Um, but uh, I can see where his next career is. After he gets out of Congress, he's going into media, obviously. So uh, hopefully he'll have me on his show when he gets uh, – his big, his big national show. Anyway, um, but, uh, but what was interesting, oh, I, was gonna, I totally forgot my point I was going to make. Um, but um, was it the UFO hearings? Meter or something like that. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Anyway, but uh, this, this, oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, Kevin McDee. Well, what are they Kevin, saying at the UFO hearings? Well, the UFO hearings, let's talk about that then. The UFO hearings are fascinating. So it's on my Facebook page. You you can go to C-SPAN. I've got it on uh, bookmarks. So you go to C-SPAN and you can play the recording of it. It's the only time the Republicans and the Democrats were actually asking decent questions because normally Democrats are there to destroy the hearing and the Republicans are trying to get information. So I I recommend people listen to the hearing after it's over and only listen to the Republicans because the Democrats are just a total waste of time. Um, But the UFO hearing, they had three guys. They had a test. They had a pilot, Navy pilot that actually saw them. Um, they had a couple of other folks, and what they were talking about was what I was talking about with Mike, where they've uh, um, Nancy Mace asked, "Do you, you guys have uh, have flying craft?" "Oh yeah, we do." "Well, do you have any, any alien pilots?" "Oh yeah, we got them too." <laughs> you know, they called biologics. So they've actually uh, and they talked about they've had them on radar, they've got them on on FLIR forward looking infrared radar. They've got all these different things. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, but, uh, but this is the first time the government has openly acknowledged that uh, there's an Area 51, it's in Roswell, uh, they've been investigating UFOs for decades, they, they, call, they changed the name to UAPs, you know, all these different things. Um, but they're out there, they're doing that it, they're doing the research. Case, uh-huh. That was one case when the, this object didn't show up on radar, but just so happened a helicopter was in the vicinity at night and they could see it on the infrared cameras. Yep. Well, they got formations of these things now. I've, I've seen one video where there's like six of them, you know, or another one where they're like really big. So, uh, so, but the UFOs are definitely there. So it's, it's, it's quite incredible. Well, you remember that movie Independence Day? Oh, very well. That was a huge ship. That ship well, was I mean, about the size of a small town. What the mothership or, or the uh, the ones that were over the cities? Well, it may not have been the mothership; it might have been the toddler, but it was the uh-huh. size of a huge town. And uh-huh. I do believe that the, the possibilities for that. But the thing is, is that it would have to travel faster than known speeds, which today is that of the speed of light. Now, of course, yeah. there's other things that they experiment with. Mm-hmm. But uh, to go from one galaxy to another within an appreciable amount of time and not a year, it has to overcome that. 
Well, that's the next thing is we need propulsion because the stars are too far away. So if we're going to get, uh, if we're going to, we really, we need warp drive or whatever the equivalent is that actually works. Um, I don't know what they're, they're probably going to call it warp drive just because of Star Trek. But you need things that are going to move really, really fast. But uh, I see, you know, this incredible future. I mean, the Jetsons, everybody has their own personal flying craft. It's possible, mm-hmm. but it would be really crowded out there. <laughs> you know, if you think the roads are bad, wait till they're three-dimensional. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Um, and you have to be able to uh, have a lift system other than what we – other than the, than the configuration of a propeller. So, I mean, you have to have – a force is being produced in your vehicle that counter of that of gravity. Yeah. Well, it, it comes down to basics. Like, like attraction. Right. So you got to have a propulsion system that's affordable, that has enough thrust to lift a person, carry them at a certain speed, and be reliable enough that if uh, the power plant quits, so the drone propeller things, if the, the power runs out, they don't really glide well. That's, that's part of the problem with them. No, they don't. But the thing is, when they come down, you have that uh, helicopter effect. But the thing is, is that the uh, slants also don't have no aeronautic uh, surfaces that produce uh-huh. lift. They don't. No, right? they don't. Uh, but a flying saucer flies Ooh. in space. It doesn't. It's not uh, dependent on an oxygen. It's not dependent on an atmosphere to create lift. Doesn't create. See, but it can't no come, so can come and land on the ground, though. Yeah, so it it, it it would be countering it, and that's something that we don't know. Is it just countering the action of gravity of a planet? See, we only think of gravity is that mm-hmm. we're walking around on this planet, but mm-hmm. gravity is all throughout space, according mm-hmm. to what I've yeah. Yeah. Well, here's something else to think about, too, that I just thought of. Uh, Earth has a magnetic field. So what if your, your spacecraft uses magnetism? What if it uses magnetism and gravity as a propulsion system, and when it comes to Earth, it gradually reverses the polarity of whatever Earth is and can tap into the Earth's magnetic field and use that as a way to slow down and land? It wouldn't have to be a, a, a rocket system or a propulsion, you know, thrust, equal opposite reaction. I mean, it could be something completely mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Anyway, um, Warren's that on the line. That would have to be. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Warren's, and, 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 and well, this that, is something I find fascinating. That would have to uh, be a theory that would have to be practiced. Go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, but could, well, you know, you know how they have railroads that use reverse uh, polarity, right? So in other words, uh, you, you put uh, a railroad magnet system on top of a magnetic track. You reverse the you, you you make the polarity the same positive and positive, and the train rises up off the track. So the magnetic forces repel it. Now what you do is you do a series of, of negative to positive. So in other words, the front of the train you make negative and then and then make negative all the way down, and you change the polarity of the track so that the negative attracts the positive charge of the train, and the train can reach unbelievable speeds because it's not touching anything. It's driven, you know, totally by magnetism. It's being held up by magnetism. And as long as the computers well, so, are working, so what do they the use polarity. for the lateral? What do they use for the lateral, lateral truss? It's on a monorail down the track. Are they not in touch? I never have studied these. Are they in touch with the tracks? So no. you have to have some methodology in order the to riding above the track. achieve the yeah. lateral truss. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I mean, we have to look into that too. But there, there are mono, there are monorails where they actually magnetize the track. The train lifts up, and by reversing the polarity, they can uh, 
they can propel the train down the track at ridiculous speeds. Me and Marco knows yeah. about it. Yeah. Anyway, well, I got a couple minutes left. I just want to make a note. Uh, Warren's on the line, and he's going back to his usual racist stuff, which is really too bad. Um, and I'm curious why somebody is so obsessed. First of all, as a black person, how can you talk about white privilege, Warren? Because there's nothing you can he's say. He's not about totally it. black and half and half. Oh, but so, anyway, so we so talk about half white privilege. All right, I don't want to get into an argument between you two, but I find it fascinating that that somebody who's not white talks about white privilege. You know, and that's that's yeah. racist to me. You know, first of all, you have no idea what being well, white but, is. So how you can know, you how can you people, say that? People, people Why do they do, do that? things that they do. You just have to yeah, understand them. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me talk about black privilege. <laughs> all right. I just want to make that one note. Yeah, but I want to recognize Warren because he did he did type into the show. All right, let's get back to technology. Um, the only thing, you know, this is where I'm going to regret dying. You know, whenever it happens, because it's like I'm going to miss all the stuff that comes afterwards. You know, I think the, the we are getting very exciting, and if we can, well, remember the situation after World War II. You know, a Piper Cub was an affordable airplane, a Luscom, a Stinson, Taylorcraft. People, a lot of people were flying. We had over a million pilots back in those days. Now we have half that, but we have twice the population. What's that? It's fly forty eight. Yeah, it's fly forty eight. Yeah, uh, or an Aronka Champ. Now, they didn't go very fast, but a lot of people had airplanes in those days. They were anywhere from 80 to 100 horsepower engines. They were fabric. They were tail draggers usually. Didn't take a whole lot to, uh, you know, learn how to fly them or maintain them. The engines were pretty simple. They're, you know, like, like car or motorcycle engines. Uh, and if air, airplane, they didn't have all the instrumentation, didn't have all the air traffic control. And if you wanted to go fly to, you know, your farmer's field, oh, here we go. He's got uh, um, 375 miles an hour. So he's got a, a maglev bullet train. So I'm going to put that. Uh, if you all go to live chat um, where, where uh, Marco has given us a website, which I'll take a look at after the show. I'm going to copy it right now. Talking about maglev. So magnetic levitation uh, bullet train does 375 miles an hour. Yeah. And it can go as fast as they can, you know, work the polarity, you know, of the, of the track itself. So, I mean, I'll check that out. That's, you know, that'll be interesting. Anyway, um, but all these things are coming. It's going to be really exciting. And, uh, yeah, no, uh, Warren, well, you, you, you called me with three minutes. Warren, get on the train. I'm not going to get on the train. It's driving 375 miles an hour. I'm <laughs> not going to Yeah. Um, I probably <laughs> should schedule, a, I probably should schedule a debate with Warren. I'll think about it. Warren, let me think about it, uh, to do a debate, just you and me. Uh, and we'll, we'll try that at some point. Uh, cause it's it actually, really, it, it, cause it, 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 cause it amuses me. It's my time to waste. Besides, it amuses me. All right, let's get back you know, to the train. So much, uh, there's so much other things that we need to, to discuss. Oh, uh, yeah. You're talking about getting NASA people. That, I think that should be a yeah. great thing. Don't, well, see, be there's nice a lot of people don't believe. Yeah, there's a lot of people believe that they believe. On your show. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. It would be nice to have a Tyson uh, Brian Green on your show to talk on uh, some issues. Who's uh, Brian Green? That's more sustainable and more... Brian Green is an astrophysicist. Well, listen, if you have if you have guest suggestions, especially if you have contact information, let me know. You can invite anybody on the show you want. You know, you're free to do that. So just yeah, you know, I bring try to on. Brian Green. Yeah, try and formulate I mean, some questions. I'd love you to get guests, but let me know ahead of time so I can do a little prep. But yeah, you can bring on guests. But oh, uh, I like to get the uh, Byron uh, McDonald back on. Oh, Byron Donalds? Yeah, Byron Donalds would be fabulous to have on the show. 
Yeah. You know who else we yeah. should have on the show is Livingston. What's his name? The lieutenant governor who's running for governor in Georgia. He'd be fascinating. Remember the guy that made the speech mm-hmm. at the the gun speech at the uh, at one of those uh, parent uh, meetings. There's a lot of great people that I'd love to have on the show. Uh, in fact, I have some surprises I can't tell you about yet, but we got some uh, interesting people uh, hopefully coming on. So those, there are many things in the works. It also but, gives somebody um, to get more elaborate into unidentified flying objects. Well, I work on it. You know, now that the hear watch the hearing. It's on my Facebook page, or just go to C-SPAN. Uh, just go the the UAP hearing. Um, it's really it's not that long. So it's a couple hours you can kind of skip around, mm-hmm. but uh, it's really interesting. So that hearing, the hearings last week were unbelievable. You had Robert Francis Kennedy, you know, with censorship. You had uh, the UFO hearing. You had Mayorkas, that psychotic uh, person who's, uh, he's, he's got to be, nobody can lie like that if they're, if they're a decent person. He's not normal. So he was lying about the border. Uh, you had the, the gender transmutilation folks, victims. You had the climate change hearings. You had the uh, vaccine mandate hearings. So last, there were a ton of hearings last week. It was a really interesting week for hearings. Mm-hmm. But, but what's happening now, of course, Congress uh, – actually, oh, I was going to make this announcement. Congress is off. Uh, bye, Marco. Have a good weekend. <laughs> He's going to be gone soon. Um, but um, Congress is off for a month. And that's one of the points I wanted to make is that Kevin McDeepstate, you know, McCarthy, the speaker, he hasn't scheduled a single impeachment hearing. He's not impeaching Brandon. Of course, you should arrest him for stealing the presidency. He's not impeaching Mayorkas or Merrick Garland or any of these people. No impeachment hearings are scheduled, and they've got a month off. And when they come back, it'll be almost well, Labor I'd, Day. Uh huh. I thought I'd tell you that a lot of your rights, your own laws, uh, ideas is showing up in uh, a convention-based stimulation. Uh, oh, isn't that interesting? Nate, tell me which ones. What, what have you noticed? Well, it's a lot of them, and it covers from Congress itself even down to the legislature. But some of yours is a, ideas may not be pervadum, but the well, no, I mean, like there. I say, now, Matt Gates, uh, Matt Gates' bill on uh, on uh, birthright citizenship, birth calling it birth fraud. I mean, that bill is except for the information, a lot of his legal information is very different. I mean, that's that's that was brilliant, but the actual bill itself mm-hmm. and, and the reason for it, the misinterpretation of the Fourteenth Amendment, is right out of my legislation, directly. Yeah, when I read it, 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 it was very very it put chills down your neck because of the things that you know need to be there that you talked, and now you're seeing other people picking up on it too. Yeah, I just wish they'd give me a little credit. <laughs> just, just say, you know, inspired by Action Radio, you know, or the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. Just a little bit of credit. That's all I ask, because that way people come to us for our, yeah, our other ideas. We got to build the show up. Um, yeah. Well, I'm gonna. Yeah. Matt Gates is off for a month because Congress is off for a month. I'm gonna call his office after the show and see if I can set up an appointment to talk to him directly and see if I can get him back on the show. There you go. So, you uh, go. in fact, everybody should do that this month. Uh, August is the month to talk to your representatives and your senators. They're all off. They got the whole month off. And what's going to happen is we come back. Labor Day will be happening. And after Labor Day, that's the official kickoff of the 2024 campaign. So whatever lobbying you're going to do, the best lobbying you can do is this month, month of August. Don't let it go by. We'll be talking about that, too. All right. Look, you have a pleasant weekend safe, of course. And uh, thank you. Try to you catch too. you Monday. Good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Exactly. Well, you know, that was, that was the creek people, not the river. <laughs> there was a news story about that. Don't have the creek rise. All right. I think I'm going to see you.
Okay, you take care, Bianchi. Thank you very much. And Warren, try and get over your racism. You'll be a lot happier. All right. Um, I played everything uh, except for our closing theme, which is the 1812 Orchard, how we close out Fridays. Every day has a different theme, uh, a different classical piece for closing out the week. This has been fun. This has been a great show today. Fridays, you know, sometimes Fridays get a little draggy because we don't have as many people. But if Mike joins us, you know, so a typical Friday is going to be uh, Tara to start things off from the animal shelter. Uh, Derek with our financial report, Mike with our science report, and Candace with, uh, you know, philosophy and horses. <laughs> Fridays are going to get really cool around here. Anyway, um, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I will be doing a ton of work myself on the show, getting ready for Monday. I have no idea what I'm going to do Monday yet, but uh, got a lot of possibilities with our, our new opening aviation branches. And I will be back, as always, 7 a.m. Central Time when we on Monday when we uh, do it all again. 